0: Red State DVD and Blu-ray pre-orders are available now at coopersdell.com. Get exclusive bundle packages featuring posters, soundtracks, t-shirts, signed scripts, wardrobe used in the film, and a chance to be a guest on air with Kevin Smith via Skype. Pre-order Red State DVD and Blu-ray exclusive bundles now at coopersdell.com smirch alert smirch alert motherfucker smirch alert go to smodcast.com slash to get your official jay and silent bob iphone 4 cases from casemate choose from three different snoogarific designs we got soft ones and hard ones hey i'm talking about the cases bitch all emblazoned with your favorite smodco icons jay and silent bob snag your iphone 4 case for 39.99 and protect the precious smodcast.com slash smerchandise yo canada jay and silent bob are gonna be royally mounting you december 7th in vancouver december 8th edmonton december 9th calgary december 10th saskatoon and December 11th, Winnipeg. Their comedic maple syrup's gonna be gushing all over your timbits. How's that for a visual, eh? Jay and Silent Bob get old live in the Great White North. Linky links to tickets at smodcast.com/slash get old in Canada. Hey, Eldborg, Iceland. On November 11th, Kevin Smith will be inside you. Kev is bringing his famous Q&A to Eldborg Main Hall, talking movies, comics, sex, taking a shit, whatever you want to ask about. Hilarity will ensue. Kevin Smith, live at the Eldborg Main Hall in Eldborg, Iceland, on November 11th. Links to tickets for this and all Smodco shows at csmod.com. Yo, Philly, guess who's coming to the city of brotherly love? Hollywood motherfucking Babylon, bitch. Come get your celebrity news, rumors, and Liam Neeson's cock jokes at the World Cafe Live with Kevin and Ralph on Monday, October 17th. Top that steak sandwich with cheese whiz, showbiz, and comedy jizz. Mmm, tasty. Catch Hollywood Babylon at the World Cafe Live in Philadelphia on October 17th. Tickets for this and all Smodco Shows at csmod.com. Kevin Smith is bringing his big bucket of wind Q&A show deep in the heart of Texas. September 27th at the Paramount Theater in Austin. Even better, they're going to be filming all you motherfuckers for a special presentation on Epics. Whether you want to know about clerks, red state, hit somebody, or eating his wife's ass, don't miss Kevin Smith at the Paramount Theater in Austin on September 27th. Tickets on sale now at austintheater.org. Hey, Baston, Jay and Silent Bob are coming to raid your fridge, smoke your weed, and make you laugh hysterically while they do it. How do you like them apples? Yee. Friday, October 7th at the Wilbur Theater. Catch Jay and Silent Bob get old. Grab your tickets now by clicking on the link at csmod.com. So, you're saying, Yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, Biach. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com, scroll down, and click on merchandise. Catch live video clips of Jay and Silent Bob Get Old and Hollywood Babylon on the Kevin Smith blog for the Huffington Post. Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. That's huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. Yo, Red Bank, New Jersey. Jay and Silent Bob are gonna snooch to your motherfucking nooch. I don't even know what that means. Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, live at the Count Basie Theatre on October 8th. Special guest, tell them Steve Day. Get your tickets at countbasietheater.org. Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, live at the Count Basie Theatre, October 8th in Red Bank. Word. Want early access to tickets for Smodcast Internet Radio's metric ton of live shows? Join Smodcast. For just four ninety nine a month, you'll get CD-quality audio of every podcast you hear on Sir, ad-free. It's like watching porn without having to fast-forward through that goddamn plot. You'll also get bonus video content and other badass exclusives. Smodcast where Smodcast goes say for pay. All the deets at Smodcast.com. Going to New York Comic Con in October? Well, Jay and Silent Bob are giving you one more reason to fangasm. Uh, you might want to clean that up. Friday, October 14th at the IGN Theater. Catch a live performance of the popular podcast, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Dust off that Batman costume that's three sizes too small. Or, fuck it, don't wear a costume. Just wear some type of clothing, because, you know, you don't want to get arrested. And get ready to enjoy a thick layer of gooey comedy jizz with Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, live in New York. October 14th at the IGN Theater. Tickets on sale now. For more info, go to csmod.com. When it's time for lunch, you can pick up a spoon or grab your thought body and dig into a nuna. It's nuna with that and Marty. If you never had a noon one, well, there's no swim away. Just bend over at right the middle
1: in the middle of the day. It's a nooner. It's a nooner with Marty and Dan. With Marty and Dan. Indeed, yes. it is with Marty and Dan. Marty, are you there? Hello, everybody. We're doing a whole new thing that the rest of the world probably does a lot, but nooner, since it it is not a high tech operation. I mean, at least on my end, from the Smodcast people end, is
2: until today.
1: Until today because Marty is Skyping in. Where are you, Marty? In the Arctic? Where? I don't know. Where I'm,
2: you're. In the, <laughs> I'm in the Arctic. No, I am in Northern California, visiting my parents. It's my father's birthday. so. Oh, ah,
1: well, happy birthday yeah. to your dad. That's a really lovely bookcase I can see behind you, chock full of interesting books. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote every single one. You look very studious, like that sort of masterpiece theater kind of fellow. You're in a comfortable chair. Oh, no, wait, your hair is disheveled and you're wearing This good. is really great for a podcast, isn't yeah. it? Okay, right on. All right, well, welcome to Nooner, everybody. Uh, you're uh, to our hour radio embrace that comes due every uh friday 12 p.m pacific time i'm getting tired of saying pacific time but i do feel that that is only yes. right because we have listeners around the globe pan global uh, listeners
3: our
2: <laughs> host is the uh inimitable dan etheridge
1: uh, thank the, you it's inimitable but sure. yes and you're a, a
2: what is it a, a smurp or something uh, like burp, that yeah
1: and or- you're uh, my co-host is marty you coming to you Live from Northern California, sort of Palo Alto. I'll give the street address out there later so you can visit him. You know what's funny about this, Marty, is the second, the mere second that this show is over today. I'm getting in the car with Nick the dentist, and he and I are driving up to San Francisco for a three-day weekend away from everything, from life, from everything, from everyone, except if – there's any Nooner fans up there and then come out. We'll all party together. Um, that's guys. at
2: Dan Etheridge <laughs> on Twitter. And I'll he will, I'll he see will, you will show Black up Blackbird and
1: Rebel on Saturday night. Okay. For all you San Franciscans. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that road trip. Haven't done it in a while. Then we're going to come back down the one and do some surfing on the way down. When I say we, I mean him and I will be reading your, and drinking out. mimosas. I'll splash piece. about no I'm a manly swimmer it's not like I'm going to go put on a one-piece bathing suit and then di- dip my toe in the water and then run I, I I'm a manly swimmer it's just I'm, I don't think I'm going to surf in that that rough shark filled surf of the of the northern central California coast
3: mm.
2: That's well, this week we did suffer a huge loss to the you know our the world um when, uh, free agents got canceled. Yeah. Yesterday.
1: We did. We were really, uh, and, and that, and that, and, 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 and actually, we were really bummed about that because we love John Enbaum. and, you know. I love the show. Yeah, and he's going to come on the show and we'll talk about that. I mean, you know, for, for those of you who watched or didn't watch, you know, I think we, I feel like the show had so many brilliant elements and it, you know, needed some t- continued time to find itself and it's too bad it didn't. NBC didn't give it that chance, but c'est la vie, that is how it goes in network. Uh, but our, we're with Johnny today and, uh, with him. I
2: spoke brief- briefly to John this morning and he said that. Uh, Joe L'Atrulio, like, immediately shaved off his, his mustache. was, <laughs> no, like, right. Just like, he had the razor in his Ken, hand when Paul uh, came you know, in.
1: Ken Marino's Ron Donald immediately got rid of the, that bizarre flat top that he, uh, that he wore. Wait, who came God. up with that flat top? Um, you know, it was actually a Ken brainstorm. He actually initially had a flat top and a mustache, but, uh, 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 we sort of thought the mustache was a step too far, which, It's kind of funny to think of a step too far with regards to that particular character on that particular show, but indeed it felt like a step too far. So,
2: Well, um, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, get them to at NoonerDanMarty on the Twitter, or you can email us at NoonerPodcast at gmail.com. Yes,
1: I think there was a kind uh, listener who asked for our email, and then I don't know if actually – employed it for the incredibly well, awesome uh, bit Ask Dan which occurs whenever we run we, out of other stuff on any
2: no, no 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 we're about to get to there. We're we, about we, to get to there already? Yeah, oh yeah. That's how you started. You know, you get just get really the hands I, And ask fall. Dan?
1: sweet. Yes. I will say I have a I accidentally stepped with the window open and I have a little bit of a tension headache, but I'm drinking coffee and Red Bull and water and Tylenol and ibuprofen. I should be just fine.
2: How does that open window?
1: <laughs> what's that?
2: How does an open window do that?
1: Oh, god damn it. You can let the whole world in. Anything could happen. <laughs> Did you see contagion? Speaking damn. of contagion, good segue. Today's guest's, uh, guest, when he arrives, is Jonathan King. And here's the thing I t- I, I'll say about Jonathan before he comes out. And that is that, uh, Jonathan's kind of like an insider's insider here. He's been around for, uh, a couple 15 years or so and worked about everywhere and uh and so, uh we're kind of pleased we wanted to have sort of a different perspective on Hollywood, so we're having sort of a producer slash executive who makes the kind of movies that I like to go to see um Dream girls yes, Dream girls, yes, and contagion Syriana Inconvenient truth. It's you know, uh I think I think good night, good luck, I think. Um So anyway, but we'll, we'll let him talk more about that. But Jonathan King will be coming in; very interesting fellow.
2: Yeah, so uh, look him up on the IMDb. Well, the the your funny questions. thing is, even that
1: even you're right. Yes, do look him up on IMDb. But even IMDb, you're going to go, oh, I'm not quite sure. it, like it. it like it's one of those fellows that everybody in Hollywood knows and respects. Right. I mean, he's but is not well known, and even his resume. Because he's been an executive so many places and not always gotten credit for the movies that he's had. right. So
2: there'll be gaps of years in his in his uh, IMDb it page. Drug addiction.
1: It wasn't a it wasn't. Uh, and I finished my
2: thought that it's because he's been busy the whole time working as an executive.
1: I don't think that I, that was really me interrupting a thought. I, that was interjecting a mild, I'm not great piece of humor, a mild piece of humor, and then you could have just picked up and gone right on. I think this Northern California thing's not working for me. Get on a plane, come home <laughs> immediately, Marty. Either that, um, or from now on, I'm doing the show from home, and you have to come in every week. Thank um, you for that. See, i love Jay.
2: <laughs> Jay, we really love you. It has nothing. No, oh, Jay, to do with I love
1: it. you. This is not about you, Jay. I love right, seeing right. your face it's, every it's, week. It's just me I and love Dan. That. It's it's a we, Marty thing.
2: You, we love you just as much, whether we're together or apart.
1: <laughs> and we've got uh, Michael also sitting in today, and, and intern Mike. So we've got a, we've got it's it's all Jays and Mikes here. Um, so thanks, fellas, again for always doing the good work. Um, all right. Martin, you hit me with your best shot. All right. Let's, uh, let's start since we just got a tweet from
2: our favorite listener, one of many no, 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 listeners. Favorite. One of many. We no, have thousands, a favorite. you are a, thousand a favorite, favorite We have a lot of favorite and listeners. Of and this is one of them, Olivia Marion, who just finished McCabe and Mrs. Miller just great. in time for um, Nooner Dan Marty. Once again, a perfect recommendation by Dan Atheridge. Fantastic film. Ugh, I, that there's movie so many Fridays to come, though.
1: And the great thing about that, that Altman film is that it, when it came out, it was a bomb and even Altman and Warren Beatty both slightly, not disowned it, but were like, what in the movie we wanted it to be from a different direction. They quarreled about or fought notoriously about the movie. Each saw something different. Neither was satisfied with the result, but I think they weren't able to see the forest for the trees, which is a truly terrific film next week olivia shampoo although i think you said that you might have seen it she
2: saw it and we shouldn't do two, two
1: i could do whatever around. the f i want marty it's dan's recommendation for this is no this actually is dan's friday recommendation for picks. olivia bit that's what this is it is friday morning flick picks for olivia from dan to olivia
2: no i do no know from dan
1: though. to olivia i have a pick, <laughs> have a pick. <laughs> okay what's your pick let's hear your pick for next week go marty okay uh-huh. my pick uh, uh i anything. decided say it
2: I'm going with all Asian films. All right. You're, a, you're, no pick.
1: Marty's picks person. denied.
2: No, it's, it's a film, um, by a director named Korida, and it's a Japanese film called Nobody Knows. It's one of the most heart-wrenching. It's a, just a sort of almost a taste sort of drama about, um, these kids who are abandoned by their mother, and they're living in an apartment for kids, and they're just living on their own, just as wastrels, and, um for a year without any supervision or any money so they eventually get kicked out and they're living on the street and during the time it, they shot it over 9 months so you see the kids grow hmm. which is very weird and then the kids also they they didn't um like cut their hair or anything so they literally look more and more like like uh baby hobos and it is it's heart-wrenching. You can't watch it twice because it's just too difficult, but it, it is a fantastic movie.
1: Well, Olivia, enjoy nope, that. Yeah. I, I was going to give you Adrian Zmed's Zapped, but instead, you've got Nobody Knows, the Japanese movie that's so fucking grueling to get through, you can only watch it once. Enjoy that, Olivia, and in two weeks, we'll get dance. back to Dan picking a movie for you. No, 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 you can sorry. pick a No, no, one, no, two. that's it. Olivia, no, 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 sorry. No. You're stuck with Marty's no, movie. One. He commandeered no. the bit. It's Marty's movie now. Nobody knows. Enjoy it, world. Actually, it does sound good, but I'm just saying it's you really gone out on a limb here, and you really like. I know it's, I'm a stick. Okay, great. So
2: fine. you should have a pick too, because no, I, I'll bet no, you the no, no, one, that one pick, like better.
1: I'm not, You know, you get in there, you did your pick. We'll see what she says next. No, time. no, we should do two, two picks a week. No, so the pick, no, no, no. All so no, 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 right, Dan's
2: pick is shampoo. He's breaking the rules. He's not helping no, along. No, He's I'm saying you don't get day. a
1: pick every week. Yes, I do. No, I we'll talk about this later. No, all right. I'm two movies picked. All right, Dan's pick, shampoo. Marty's pick, this one time only, nobody knows. Okay, moving on. You're (laughs) such a baby. We'll let Olivia decide. We'll let Olivia decide. Olivia, do you want one from Dan and one from Marty each week, or one from Dan and occasionally one from Marty? Olivia, if you know what's good for you, you know which one you'll pick.
2: (laughs) If you want to be in the top 1,000 listeners week after week, you know how to answer.
1: Um. Um, Okay, let's move on from quarreling, Marty. Somebody Mm. got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning, and clearly, actually, I did. But (laughs) I feel like spiritually you did, too. You did, too. Um, Okay. So, moving on. Ask Mm. Dan.
2: Oh, ask Dan. Okay. We have two letters this week. They're they're both um, pretty short, but we'll get right to it. Uh, The first one is from Aaron McNichol, and he has a very simple question for Dan. Okay. How on earth, all caps, did you get stuck with having to insert Paris Hilton into Veronica Mars? She's less than convincing as a high schooler or a human being. And please don't tell me that she was the nicest person in the world because that would turn my world upside down and possibly result in me going on a serious Broadway binge. And no one wants that. Love the show.
1: Aaron. Okay, a that's where first that's where you're wrong. Great and question. I actually,
3: d- great, a, it's great, it's a terrific
1: question, question well written, and I actually do want you to go on a Broadway binge, regardless of what I'm about <laughs> to say. That I think would be meaningful for everybody. Um, okay, actually, that's a great question. I'll tell you the honest truth about it. We uh, uh, Joel Silver was our was our uh uh was the other executive producer on the show. The Joel Silver, the producer. The of The Di- Joel Silver, the Joel Silver, and um, you know uh let's just say that the the relationship could at times be contentious uh and uh and I, that's not surprising given his reputation but you know he also he, he so sometimes sometimes he had some quality ideas about to publicize the show and sometimes he'd he'd get into his head like this is this is something i feel is really good for the show and early on well, this is very early on obviously because we hadn't even been premiered he felt that given where paris was in his career that would be a great boost for the show to have her on so really it was joel's idea and it was a publicity angle and it, it, let me let me put it this way it it wasn't worth the epic battle to combat that for that particular role that on paper she was kind of suited for but there was a lot of trepidation because we felt like that you know okay we have a cool thing going we felt that that was kind of cheesy stunt casting, not cool stunt casting. But I would file this on the category of pick your battles. And we were at a moment, we were just starting to shoot the show. And, you know, and we're going to need ratings. And we, you know, and and we needed to work with Joel. And so I just think that was just one of those those things that you do. If in retrospect, you could rewrite history, that's not the sort of... Guest star that was right for the show we were constructing, which did not sort of, I mean, we winked a lot of times, but we winked in a, ways that we thought were cool. Like, you know, we, H- Harry Hamlin was an awesome piece of, of stunt casting we liked and that ended up being just, ter- just a terrific guy and terrific guy. And the good. Yeah. And, and Steve Gutenberg. So, so I, you know, I, so it, it, that's, it's a matter of taste. And, and so that's, that's how Paris came to do the show. And I, and I will say she, she was, um, how do I answer this? Um, she Wait, was he, not well, so going to
2: burn any bridges with her. No, no, no,
1: no. It's not that. It's that I want to give like an – on. like sometimes the truth is more nuanced than just sure. she was nice, she was idiot Here's what I think. In the time that I did get to know her a little bit on the set and we had dinner one night and I, what I would say is that she is smart, that she knew at that time – I keep in mind this is 2004 and I'm sure life, life has moved on like a roller coaster. At that time, she knew exactly what she was doing. And what what sort of uh, image she was creating and fostering and per, you know uh, what what's the word of my, perpetuating and mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't a false image but this wasn't a dumb person doing something self uh, totally unselfaware. She, I think she was enjoying what she was doing but she also was smart and knew kind of. She was self-aware about what she was doing, even as she was doing it and enjoying doing it. That's the best she was way cultivating a was. brand. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't so manipulating like she turned an off on switch. I think there was a lot of her in her, but I also say this wasn't a dumb person just kind of going, you know, ditzy, going from one you know party nightmare to another. I think she knew what it was, and she was kind of digging it. Look, she was young; she was she was she was enjoying life. So we didn't have a bad time. I mean, she was a little difficult on set because she. I think quite memorably, like at one point, had to just stand at a. Uh, at She had to stand in a window, and the shot was from somebody down the street looking up at the window. The curtain opens, and there she is in the window. And she got fatigued and just could not get up off from the bed a, in, a, in the bedroom. Yeah, she she was just tired, and so we were just like, y- "You just got to stand up next to the window." That, that's all the shot is—just stand up at the window. Just, like, I'm tired. I, I just, I, I can't just stand up. At the- <laughs> but I think to you know, if I you know, I always try to be fair to people. To be fair to people, I think Joel super muscled her into doing this. I don't think she wanted to be down there doing it. She went like, great, a guest star on an unpremiered Veronica Marshall. I don't think that was what she wanted to be on. So I think Joel muscled everybody involved to get that done. Did so, she show up on time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the main, did she, you know, it did, was fine. Did um, she know her lines? There weren't a lot of lines, but she, she struck me that she did. It was only, the only thing I remember was that one thing of like, she got a little tuckered out. And just – we had a lot of trouble getting her stand by the window. Did someone
2: on the crew have (laughs) sex? Did someone on the crew have sex with her?
1: No. There's nothing lascivious like that. So anyway, there's the answer to your question. That's not what I heard. I I did not hear that. Well, how would you have heard something about sex with Paris Hilton on my set? My set, it <laughs> it much, I become such a tyrant on this day. Not my yeah, set see, on the set right? in which I was a producer. Um. Yeah. Anyway, we can talk about so, it. yeah, here. but yeah. So that and then we had, we had dinner that night, and it was like five or six of us, a couple of the actors. We did shots. We had some fun. I sort of, frankly, I enjoyed that at the height of that moment. I was like, hey, I'm doing shots with Paris Hilton. and this feels, I'm doing surreal. something really zeitgeisty and surreal. This is not what I expected. <laughs> I would be doing a year earlier. So and, and you know so and that's in the way I feel a little bad just taking. You know, total shots at her, because while I was with her at that dinner that night, I sort of was, you know, self-aware, but enjoying, hey, Hey, this is intriguing. I'm doing shots with the world's most famous doing shot person at the moment. (laughs) 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 So that's kind of a life, you know, file it under life experience. And those are sometimes to be relished and not just, you know, caddied away.
2: And that's the night that Paris passed on the, the shot-taking crown to Dan.
1: That's right. Who has held the mandal I, – I do love me some Irish car bombs. Uh, oh, I don't want to go in the shots, but I do like them. <laughs> Thanks, Paris. Right. Thank you, Paris. Thanks, yeah, Aaron, that, for a great question.
2: All right. We got another one here. It's uh, Dear Dan and Marty. First off, let me tell you, yeah, he likes the show. That's great. Um, and he listens what did to you everything. Really his
1: name was Deirdre?
2: No, his name is Josh. Josh uh, Parham. He's the one I who asked that. for your, the address. So wrong.
1: Oh. I, I, I thought you said Deirdre. Um, I think I just mumbled. A man named Deirdre, which sounds like a, a boy named John Sue Ford movie. Yeah. Okay. Right.
2: So, um, his question is about, to, is to you about yeah. politics, okay. specifically the 2012 elections. Yes. Yes. He would love to know your thoughts, uh, on Ron Paul as a candidate, since he's a person who has flown in the face of some ardent Republican platforms. I know you guys don't normally discuss politics. We kind of do every week, just a tiny bit. Yeah. Um and uh, and I, he also loves the recommendation of McCabe and
1: Mrs. Miller. Oh, brilliant! Hey, you know, here's what I think. I've already been pretty vocal that I'm like not only a, a diehard Democrat, but a pretty partisan one. So, um, I you know you always got to take everything I say with that with that grain of salt. Not that I don't try to be, I, I try to be fair to my own feelings. But whatever, whatever, here's what I would say about Ron Paul. I respect Ron Paul. Ron Paul strikes me as someone who has a set of principles and applies those principles wherever it takes him. That I genuinely respect. I do not agree with a great many of the things, or not great many, I would say with a, 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 a nice helping handful of the things that he says I don't agree with. Um, but I, but I genuinely respect somebody who says, This is what I believe, and regardless of party orthodoxy or popularity or how it might be easier to bend something rather, you know, than to do it, he just applies it because that's the philosophy he lives in. I know that always leaves someone like me open to the, you know, to the charge of, okay, so what you're saying is, is you have a very pliable political philosophy. Well, I mean, I, you know, I would, I mean, I guess on one hand, you might say yes, but on the other, it's that, I don't know that that the political philosophies that I have that I'm not going to go into here really would not be part of the show, but they they have a they have a uh, you know they have a more embracing nature than than his. So anyway, that's you know. So respect you respect him. him as an adversary then? No, you know what? In, in, but that's a tr- not in, as an adversary in, 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 because there's like there's me there's things we believe in. I I wouldn't vote for him. Um, I but I think that in the political landscape, it's valuable to have people who have political philosophies and stick to them. I'm not taking that to the extreme. I'm not suggesting that we should let Adolf Hitler come into the political mainstream. And I, by the way, not remotely equating Ron Paul and Adolf Hitler. I'm just saying, (laughs) <laughs> Ron Paul's Ron Paul doesn't have a dangerous political philosophy to uh to that could hurt millions if affected. He has a legitimate one and a libertarian one, and there it is. A headline
2: on the Huffington Post: Etheridge compares Ron Paul to Hitler. His
1: Subtitle: And no one cares. <laughs> oh so, no.
2: I, okay, I, so anyway,
1: I, there you go. There, there's the answer thanks, to your question. I'm not sure if anybody was really that interested in what I in what I think about Ron Paul, but there you go. So no, I, I think so. yeah. Well, there, there's the You never know where Ask Dan will go. And sometimes it goes to a really boring
2: dark place. The one thing I always ask about uh, these pure libertarians who support Ron Paul is show me an example where those, that sort of ideology exists and works in the world. And nobody can, but, but, and Ron Paul actually answers that by saying that everything else fails too, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I don't think we want to start yeah, taking no. on Ron Paul, uh, folks online. It'll just be a deluge of negativity. So I, I, let let's, I'm standing pat with my answer, which is actually the truth. So, um, Joel Silver did make Xanadu, Tyson, you were right. And in that sense, he can do no wrong. Although, in fact, he has done some wrong. that was an answer to your tweet. Uh, uh, oh, wait. Olivia, Olivia has gotten back to us. He's in, she's intrigued by Marty's pick. But the two films every Friday may be ambitious. That I Marty, I read that as a very polite. Marty gets a, a, only rarely. Upbeat. Wait, wait, I, wait, wait, wait! You, wait. you chose well. A I Congratulations. came up with this bit. I think I should have control of this bit. <sighs> Marty, it, this is we'll about, about control. Okay. Um, <laughs> wait, this is the tyrant. <laughs> Marty, so, this is not
2: me about me controlling you. We are down to the last credit acting credit that you have on IMDB, and it's one that I don't know if is correct, or, or if it is, it's not one that I know about, from 2005. Okay, bring it. Okay, it, it is playing the role of Dr. Frank Hartlicken. <laughs> it is correct, actually. It is correct. It is wow. Correct. Well, you, you have need to tell us more about this. It's from a movie called Kiki and Her Reloaded, which, by the way, is, is a film I've never heard of, but it's star studded. It has Andy Bell in it from, uh, Erasure. They have a new album up, uh, this week. Um, Philip Glass, Deborah Harry of Blondie, Stephen Merritt of, um, of, uh, that hipster band from New York, um, Magnetic Fields, Michael Musto, sort of gay,
1: get Gallab- G- G- No, well, probably Gat- uh, journalist provocateur. SAS- oh, that's right. Bill Voice,
2: Will Patton, yeah. who's a great actor, yeah. and yeah. Rufus Wainwright, Judy Garland, impersonator.
1: Here's the great news. I met nobody who was in that movie, not even Kiki Nurb. Um, Wait, but, but you're fourth on the list. I, <laughs> well, I understand. It's a it's great billing. My pal, Chris Gallagher, made that movie. Um, and, if you don't know, Kiki and Herb, uh, the are absolutely extraordinary cabaret duo. Kiki, uh... uh I'm drag, sorry, how do you pronounce drag, it? Cabaret. Cabaret. Kiki, to say drag queen is so, like, I don't know, re- re- reductionist in this case. Uh, Justin Bond created this amazing character, Kiki, sort of a, a decrepit, uh, uh, you know, aging cabaret songstress a la Marlene Dietrich or, or Judy Garland or what have you. And, um... Uh, yeah, Judy Garland. And, um... And her, Herb is her, uh, not very bright accompanist. And that sounds like very limited possibility of, for comedy and song. But since she is such a great singer, they, they do these two and a half hour shows where she constructs, as a cabaret songstress would, sort of an entire, you know, biographical show. And they do these incredible medleys. And it's not, it doesn't go straight for the joke. It, it's just extraordinary. They're incredible. They ended up playing Carnegie Hall and I think Broadway. They're awesome. So Chris Gallagher wanted to do sort of a Kiki nerd behind the scenes movie, you know, a faux documentary. And I played uh, 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 Kiki's psychiatrist. But I own my only scenes were me speaking to the camera in a parking lot by myself. So I never met any other human being associated with the movie. But I am in it.
2: And did you have a character for your uh, – I did. Dr. Frank Hartlicken. And can you give a listen a little – No, look, uh,
1: I, I don't even ri- – no, it wasn't a – there wasn't a, um um there was no particular voice or anything that would be amusing. And is history. there a reason why
2: Kiki was seeing her psychiatrist in a parking lot?
1: Uh, No, it was that they were interviewing me in a parking lot outside my office. There's just ah, really nothing – dig as deep as you like. There's just not uh, much more else interesting there except that it's a fun movie if, and especially if you like those two.
2: All right. There we go. That is the acting CV of our host, Dan Etheridge. <laughs> Woohoo!
1: Yes, we um, are complete. Yeah, very nice. Uh, I, you know, I think I'm, I, I, what I, if I'm getting a fever, I'm going to be so angry because I've well, got then a I'm great road trip there. for the next three days. And I feel like I'm, I, if you were here, Marty, I would be making you feel my forehead right now just to see if, like, that, it, I, I don't know. I've fallen I, for like, that one too many times. <laughs> that was 96, Marty, and we were on ecstasy. <laughs> and you did fall for it. We were never on XT. I'm sorry, that never happened. I don't know why I said that. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's clammy. System. It's clammy. I feel just a little clammy. All right. A little clammy. Well, I'm just love Joy said that. Now I feel like David Letterman. We just go, "Oh, I'm bloated with soda," and he just says it 20 times. I'm clammy. I'm clammy. Hey, guess what, Marty? Uh, I give up.
3: Dig, uh, <laughs> dog.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's our morning series "Yeah, guess what? It's time. For, it's time for our special guest to uh, to come in. One, uh, Jonathan King. I'm going to tell you just a brief. <laughs> yeah, uh, right after he he goes to the bathroom. Yeah, it's down. It's downstairs. Oh, awesome. oh, also, alarm. <laughs> and, it was the UPS. I PS couldn't find guy. the light switch earlier. It's right right there when you go in on the on the left. Well, that was Jonathan King. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed that interview." Um, so (laughs) he's here, but you know that's funny. I I I've always wondered what would happen if I needed to use the restroom during the show, because I was very worried about turning it over to you, even for minutes, an entire show. (laughs) No, that's
2: not going to happen again, again.
1: Um. So this uh, this week, I saw Oli's commercial. Our our mutual friend Oli, Oli Olifson, You all have probably seen it as well, because he's got two. He's got the United Healthcare commercial. And the Citibank commercial.
2: The Citibank commercial I've seen a zillion times, or not a zillion
1: times, but I saw a few times. He plays and he, the aging director, like the Yondaban-style director who says, cotton bigger, as they're trying to blow up the pirate boat. Right. And the other
2: commercial, I, Citibank commercial, obviously, is the one with the weather balloon. Do you see that one? Oh, with the three that? no No, no, no. Oh, well, I was tasked that. Oh,
3: that's and,
2: nice. And uh, it was, well...
1: The other, was, the, the other commercial that always end up is the United There's, Healthcare commercial. Right. So uh, I was tasked in, in this... Go ahead. So I
2: was cast in the Citibank commercial and it was, I was very excited. I I was cast on the day of, it was Roman Coppola, who's Francis Ford Coppola's son or nephew or whatever. Yes, and a great vintner. And, um, and it was shooting on location. Then I get, so they, I book it. And then that afternoon I I get a call from my agent saying, ah, yeah, they, the client, they wanna see you um they're not quite sure they didn't want to see pictures of you, so you need to go back to Beverly Hills and get your picture taken. Oh dear. And try to just look as skinny as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and so I go there and they're like, like oh, oh, are my horizontal lines or vertical lines. But do I wear the <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bloated Marty. Yes. So I'm, I'm sorry. So Marty lost that. On a Citibank commercial because he so, was overweight. I wait, am sorry I, to hear that. No, no, no. Um, but over here, you probably can't see this, Marty, because you're in Northern California. Jonathan's about to sit in. Oh, my God, but that's okay. Yep. So I'll finish my story. I'll, no, no, you can finish your story now. He, he's, he's taking off his jacket. He's putting on his thing. You <laughs> no, can finish your story. Yeah. I'll introduce him when when you're done with your story. Go ahead, Marty.
2: It's 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 better when you finish my stories that you've never heard.
1: (laughs) Okay, great. You got run over by a truck and it was horrible. The end. Okay. Um, we have. Do you want to finish the story? (laughs) Terrible. No, forget it. Okay. Um, (laughs) wait. I thought the end of the story was is they wanted you to you to be less fat. Hi, Jonathan. <laughs> okay.
4: <laughs> Welcome, Jonathan. Hi, Marty. King. Nice to see you.
1: Uh, it, it, here's, the, uh, just a brief introduction to Jonathan and then, and then we'll let Jonathan reveal himself slowly over time during the course of dinner. It's good to see you. I him. already took off my jacket. How uh, much more do I have to get? <laughs> Boy, this is Jonathan unplugged so we're getting over here. Um, and his bladder <laughs> is empty. This is the way I build you earlier in the show. I don't know if you're listening, but that, that sort of the in, it, we wanted an insider's insider's perspective, you know, uh, and Jonathan's been working here for, at least 15 years as a, a producer slash executive, various places like, you know, Har- Harvey-era Miramax, Focus, Lawrence Mark Productions, and now Participant. And we'll let him tell you about Participant, which is one of my favorite companies going at the moment. Um, but uh, the one anecdote I have, which if I have some of the details wrong, fuck it, it's an anecdote, who cares, that I think illustrates, you know, sort of Jonathan's I, I, like I say, you all may not know him out there, but people here know him and uh, respect him greatly. Uh, so this one I think illustrates that a little bit. The New York Times a couple years ago had a had an article about the Sundance Film Festival, and, and one of the chieftains uh, there was talking about uh, how they. I think it was talking about how they survived the deluge of movies that they have to wade through and uh And they said, "Well, and they said, "Well, we turned to like I think it was you know two or three people we like to talk to to see what they really think of the movies we we ought to be checking out and and it was no surprise to any of us who know Jonathan that Jonathan was one of those uh tastemakers that that uh that Sundance looked to, so I will add not just uh, producer and executive but tastemaker." And, in fact, we'll talk a little bit about taste t- t- tastemaking t- 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 at some point um, today. Can I,
2: can I tell um, so you so yes, how I, is I first uh, knew Jonathan? Yeah, I'll tell us how you first knew Jonathan. Yeah, so a few – oh, yeah, do me the favor. Uh, a few. I lived a few blocks away from Miramax, and I was reading scripts at the time, and I would go over to pick scripts, and I would just chat with the three assistants who were sitting like – like you guys had like a 10-square-foot area where all three of you lived. It was you, Carol, and Matt Brodley. And, um, we just chat with you. And, and we was, called it the glory hole. It was, that's right. It was the glory hole. And, um, didn't I? I didn't
4: know that. Yeah. And then when I moved to the bigger office, um, we called it, and then Matt moved in there with me. We called it the back room.
2: Oh, nice. So, <laughs> and we were all such young, eager people and ambitious. And Jonathan, you've made it. And, Jonathan, yeah. you uh, did it! you now, answering I'm Tony
1: Safford's there. phone. i fired <laughs> being too fat. Uh, Marty, I'm sorry um, about cutting you off. You can finish that uh, thing later on. Um, uh, so, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, good to have you. I was, was going to ask you, what can I
4: not say? But I just heard you drop an F-bomb. So, I, apparently, I can do anything. Well, I mean, here's,
1: there might be a couple rules. I, I wouldn't, if I were you, criticize Kevin Smith. It's his internet radio network. All right. Not that you would. Thanks for coming. But that, that's that, – that's, I
2: wouldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, Jonathan, mean, well, I have nothing bad you? to say about Perfect. Kevin. I didn't um, think so. Um, did you deal with him at all, at, uh, with Kevin, when no. you were working at Miramax? No. Oh, okay. Good that's story. Great. I'm glad I brought him. <laughs> Thank
4: you. <goodness, Kevin. laughs> we got a lot of this. Kevin was very – I was very L.A. Miramax and Kevin was very New York Miramax. Right. My right. colleague John Gordon – and Mark Tusk were. Oh no,
1: I mean, John and he are working very, yeah. in, like the whole red state, yeah. the, the, the hard boys of that. So. Was
2: Harvey based in New York 90, like 90% of the time or something? Yes. So? So? And then yeah.
1: he would come
4: to town and set up shop at the peninsula. <laughs> and you would, would come, come and take of, over. he yeah. would, there would be a suite <laughs> at the peninsula. And if you were on Harvey duty, you would go and have every single meeting all day with Harvey and, to, and then, but there would be, you'd be sent away for an hour or so to go down to the lobby. And
1: I don't, what would happen in that hour? Don't know. The Lord only knows. Don't
4: know. But we all made friends with the nice, the ladies in the bar at the peninsula. That's in quotes. The,
2: yes. Yeah. Working, the
4: working girls <laughs> of
3: the bar. Hey,
2: was Jonathan, that was good, when, good when you first worked as an assistant at Miramax, had yeah. you already, you went to business school, right? No, film school. Oh, okay. The, the business <laughs> school.
3: <laughs> school. Had you already gone to film school
4: then? I had, yes. I had gone to, uh, got an MFA at Florida State University and moved back to. California.
2: And, and and where did you get, go to undergrad? To Stanford.
1: Oh, marvelous good football team. Well, that's where yeah. I'm, That's Excellent. where I'm right
4: now. <laughs> you are in Palo Alto? Yeah. That's really in. That's good. That's fascinating.
1: Um you know, I was just also, thinking that a, a good TV show would be The Working Ladies of the Peninsula. I think we could sell that to the CW or agency. Probably, yes. <laughs> or Cinemax. They've all got a heart of gold, yes. for sure. <laughs> I mean, for sure. Um, well, you um, know.
4: The, so no making fun of Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I'd or, not,
1: uh, And I don't think there's any other rule. Jade, are there any rules that we don't know about? Any sort of unwritten, no. tacit rules?
4: Can't yeah. compare John Boehner to Benjamin Netanyahu. That will get me fired. No, 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 you can do that really yeah we can do that Why, hank williams got fired for it Th-
1: that's all right more <laughs> expansive <laughs> yes i was surprised
4: he got fired for comparing john bainer you can't, Boehner you can't to compare obama, obama and hitler
1: I, then i will how are you fire can, you. Oh, you can't uh, compare uh, ron <laughs> paul that, to hitler though that's, that's okay yeah. that no, no
4: i thought it was for do. comparing Boehner to benjamin netanyahu
1: oh i thought it was the uh who knows <laughs> no it was in the same <laughs> sentence right, whatever he did apparently Single it wasn't letter. good enough it was bad so jonathan uh uh, and I, you know, I think I'm phrasing this right. Because I, because this company is so cool. Jonathan runs, uh, motion pictures for a company called Participant Media. And Fiction we, motion pictures. There's a, there's yes. a me of documentaries. So why don't you tell us about Participant, their sort of mission statement
4: and why they're here on the <laughs> so I actually yeah. thought of a subtitle for if this, oh, okay. if this <laughs> show were, uh, were one of those business books that people write about. Oh, yes. The movie yeah, business. It would be called, uh, I don't know what the title would be, but it would be like, The unlikely story of how a do-gooder company, do-good outsider, do-gooder company, struck box office gold. Love it. By turning (laughs) giving a shit into (laughs) movies.
1: By turning giving a shit into dollars. (laughs) Into dollars.
4: (laughs) How they spun giving a shit into box office gold.
1: That is pretty Uh, amazing. In fact, that that is the journey.
4: It is kind of well. It's certainly the journey of this summer, or the 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 where we ended up, the destination, I guess, of this summer. So, Um, what is the mission statement then? The 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 mission statement is to be uh, the company that um, makes uh, entertainment that inspires and compels social change. So Jeff Skoll, who founded the company about seven or eight years ago, um, was one of the um, one of the uh, first eBay guys. Right. He was one of the founders of eBay. Jeff who? Jeff Skoll. Internet billionaire. Internet billionaire. Yes. So he was always very philanthropic, but then he became very comfortable we right. should say after ebay went public and so we started a bunch of you know a foundation he had already start, started the ebay foundation had his own personal foundation the skull foundation which supports social entrepreneurs around the world you know people trying to invent new ways to deal with the world's problems rather than just giving money to organizations right. that already exist and supports an incredible uh number of really amazing people trying to address Health, you know, health and poverty and, you know, environmental, all sorts of issues around the world. And then had always loved movies and had always believed that movies are a great way to get people to care about things. Right, right. Like you tell a, take a good story, tell it well, and all of a sudden people care. Uh, but his idea was that that people have done that some, practically since movies were invented, but then you, as an audience member, are left to your own devices about what do you do with that now right. that you care? So he started Participant with the idea that we would make those movies, documentaries, and narrative feature films. And then once you have people's attention, we would create programs, partnerships with NGOs and nonprofits and whoever legislative advocates and educational groups and turn that interest into action. We would right. partner with people who are actually doing things about it and say, okay, now we're going to here's what you can do now that you care, you can do this, you can do this, you can get involved this way. Right.
2: Um and so that's what the company does. On paper that that sounds like it, it could be just like a, just a whole slew of like didactic, sort of feel good films about dolphins, and you know, and and Aaron Brokovich ripoffs. But like with right. Contagion, it it's like a really gripping and compelling uh, tale. Well, I think by the way, uh, so that
1: Jonathan does toot t- his own horn. Participants had a hell of a summer because the, yeah, yeah. You know, the Help was number one for how many weeks in a row?
4: The Help was it opened at. Number two, I think, and then went to number one for three or four weeks. Which, in this day and age, is astounding. People don't hold number one. No, we were at we were number one longer than any movie since The Sixth Sense.
1: Jesus
3: Christ, really? That's That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, On on daily,
4: on daily, number one, like because Avatar was longer in weeks, but they would fall off daily. Sometimes other movies made more money daily, but it was you know it was a long time, and then and this was particularly pleasing. We got knocked out of number one by our own movie,
3: which was <laughs> *Gin <contagious. laughs> Right. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, that does not happen
3: often. Either, no, but, one, so y'all had a good so summer.
2: in the development room, when you guys are are working on story and, and developing these projects, like how much does, um, yeah, that's exciting, but it the social message isn't powerful enough there. Like, does that come into play a lot?
4: Yeah, constantly. I mean, there are tons of movies that I would love to do that just don't. Fit our mandate, right? Um, but we've been—I've yeah, been there almost five years, and and the the company has been, you know, gradually sort of expanding our genre reach. You know, we realized, and this was a realization that people were having before I got to the company, but that I really believed and supported was that you can't just make issue dramas and documentaries because a you're preaching to people who probably already agree with you and b you will grow broke. <laughs> right. You will die either from boredom <laughs> or starvation or both.
1: Right, um, right. So. And it's true. People don't typically, they yeah. don't want to be preached to, if yeah. they, 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 but they don't, I think, well, I think both, I think that's, what's great. That's why these two movies are such a successful prototype for you all is they neither feel preaching. They're both engaging yeah. narratives in their own right. And then, Hey, active social message yeah. uh, in
4: there. And for something like Contagion, you know, people have made out virus outbreak movies before. I mean, that's we didn't invent that genre. I think what this one did, slightly differently, was we took the science very seriously. Mm-hmm. right? I mean, everything Absolutely. in there. I mean, Scott Burns, who is a genius and wrote the script, built that script from just primary research. You know, mm-hmm. just like relied on a small core group and then a lot of Sort of other advisors and traveled around. He was at the CDC, the World Health Organization in Columbia, you know, at Stanford, you know, just talking to scientists and, and public health people and all these people just learning like what, what is the reality of the science and the politics and this and the sociology of that happening. And then so on top of that foundation then decide and then said, okay, now I'm going to write a real thriller.
1: Well, and you know, and
4: that's what Steven wanted to do the whole time he was right. not interested in a wonky science y movie. I right, mean right,
1: right. It but is it, that on a certain level. In no but, way you know. that, like the whole thing had a sense of reality to it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I enjoyed in a popcorn way the movie, I think it was Outbreak many years ago. Yeah, I'm sure we totally. didn't. Good movie. And then maybe the science was roughly, but that felt like the movie where the science was roughly sketched into super mm-hmm. whatever plot device they were doing at the yeah. moment. Whereas this felt not in an intrusive way, but had that kind of, you are there, this is happening, this is really happening. Which right. I think it can only, in the right context, add to the thrills, yeah. which it did. In this yeah. case. I, lo- I love that movie and not... And not just because Jonathan's sitting here. I just—that's the sort of movie that just gets me going. Com- combination, kind of like '70s era disaster movie, mm-hmm. techno thriller, and and just good performances, good directing. Right. That was just a, one of my favorites.
4: And movie. slicing off the top of Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Who, what's not to
1: love? <laughs> what's not to love?
4: It was so. I there loved is when a brain. Stephen was really. Um, uh, he was very much in favor of making sure people know. Knew when we did the trailer that Gwyneth dies in the movie because right. with the idea that oh well if we kill one of the big movie stars anything
1: is possible. It was a smart play. Yeah. I have to say, did you did you feel it was? It, I yeah yeah, yeah. especially in retrospect. Psycho. You're right, right, right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just that you you use that shot in the trailer where she gets that death look on her yeah. face, and and. It was such a creepy shot coming from such a big star that you just don't see. That is one of the reasons. Okay, I have to see this. Right. And then the the feedback
4: online when when the trailer went up, people were like, I mean, I think there's something about Gwyneth. People love, lots of people love her, and lots of people love to hate her. I, I love her, but um, you know, people were saying, I knew that the end of the world would be Gwyneth Paltrow's fault. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that could have been the tagline for the movie, you know. Yes. To 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 so.
4: which I so thought was has, hilarious. They,
2: ha, there, there has there been a obviously the box office has been big, but has there been a a, a realistic reaction of people having actual concern about this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's been a that?
4: lot of. I mean, the 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 good news for any movie, or what you hope for when you're releasing any big movie, is for it. To move off of the entertainment page onto the editorial page, you know, to become to become a news story, right. because then it's, like, then people are talking about the movie, right? And you're not paying for advertising; it's free publicity, and you realize that people are engaged in the movie in some way, and that that happened really fast on this movie, and there were a lot of editorials in places like the new york times and salon and slate and everything huffington post about the reality of what would happen and why people are so scared of things like this you know because it's so personal it's you know i think it's one of the scariest things you know a virus a killer virus is you're going to be you're going to you probably will catch what kills you from someone you know Right, that is. You know, it's not like some break serial break killer putting, yeah. like yeah, breaking yeah, exactly. into your house and slitting your throat. It's like, oh, hug your kid. It'll be me Die. giving
1: you something today at nooner, <laughs> right. just, just a pat on the back, and you're dead in an hour. I'm sorry right. about that.
4: We're not sharing that we're, coffee. No, we're not.
1: Um, to, you know what? The thing is, is it, what, and maybe this will be telling. Like, maybe there'll be sort of a uh, chicken and the egg issue. Maybe every time participant has a hit, it will also turn out to be a water cooler movie because it is supposed to be pushing some sort of issue button. Because it kind of happened on The Help as well. That it instantly really became on the help. a water cooler movie. Yeah. Yeah. you know. Well, it was a water
4: cooler book before. I mean, the True. the a lot of the feedback on the movie sort of mirrored what the feedback, how it evolved to the book when the book was first published. Because when when it was first published, people were like, how, "Why is this?" young white woman writing about writing in the voice of two black maids. Right. Right. And a, and a white woman. I mean, the book and is, told that, that must've been an issue be. for you
2: guys as well.
4: Right. Did you, did that come up at all? Yeah, it came up. I, I don't quite get it since the, the movie is told from the point of view. I mean, what Tate did in adapting the book was the book is told from three points of view. Um, the movie is really told from Viola, from right. Abilene's point of view. Right. Um, because there's a young white woman in it who is crucial to setting the story in motion, people I think mistook that for the movie having that point of view. Right. 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 But also I, you know, I sort of reject the idea that, that that's a black story or an yeah. African American story. I don't, I think it's a story of the American South in the 1960s, yeah, you know, and it's about, and, you know, yeah. and you know, Tate's, a guy it's with that that movie every character of significance in that movie is a woman right
2: right how Uh, dare a man
1: uh, right well it's interesting because i think you probably got it it was my perception that you got two types of water first you had people sort of talking about the issue of race in Mm -hmm. the american south at the time and which the movie grapples with and then there was the meta issue of is the movie appropriately grappling with race right like from a publicity perspective both are great, and I think they're valid arguments and conversations to have. So I think right. on both levels, you know, can what can culture? How does culture grapple with issues right. and the issue itself? That seems like a great right. twofer, in yeah. a sense, you know. I mean, we do get into a lot of
4: conversations, and because of the mission of the company to sort of talk about real issues, sometimes people expect our movies to
1: be
4: expect the narrative features to be documentaries.
1: Right, right. You no, know,
4: and at certain point you'd say, "Hey, it's a fiction, it's a fictional story. This is a
2: movie." Right. So, you know, how right. is the development process be- different between, say, uh, the Contagion and the Crazies? Uh,
4: well, the Crazies, you know, that was one of the first movies that I really wanted to do when I got to the company because right. I just wanted and to. Let's plan- just give a little
2: background. It's it's a remake of a George Romero sort of pre-zombie or post-whatever. It's a it's an outbreak sort of movie about people going crazy from a sickness yeah. and government trying to contain it.
4: Yeah. And that, you know, if I had said... That, that was a script that was developed at Paramount, put into Turnaround, and the script was really good, and Breck Eisner was attached to direct it, who I like, and, you know, he's a good director. And so if I had said, I want to remake this George Romero movie, <laughs> and I need <laughs> money to, to develop the script... Six months into my tenure at the company, people would have said, like, you are crazy yourself, so goodbye. Um, but, uh, because the script was already written and it had a director attached, it was a little easier for me. There was still a ton of conversation, as you can imagine, of like, should we do this
1: kind of movie? It, it was a conversation along the lines of, is there enough of a social mission yeah. embedded in the film yeah. to qualify Is that, yeah.
4: And it was do we want to do this kind of movie right okay, you know this genre of movie, and people you know call it a horror movie it's, i don't I think it's more of an action movie than a horror movie right um i mean it's it's
1: bloody. But it's, way, not, it's but it's not—it's not torture, not like, porn. It's not torture it's not, porn. It's not like Freddy comes out with a chainsaw. Yeah. It, you know. A-
4: and and the the truth is on that movie, if if and the story is you know plane no, crashes. into It has a- the excitement of
2: a post-apocalyptic film.
4: Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's if if a, and a biotoxin is released into this town's water supply, it infects the people. They get sick. They, it's a sort of a, it's a very fictitious, I and mean, the virus in contagion is very real. Dr. Ian Lipkin designed it. It's, it doesn't exist in nature now. But thankfully, thankfully, <laughs> but it is it is very very. It's, it's based like on the Nipah potentially virus. able
1: a virus that could yeah. come together. Yeah, the right.
4: Heart and yeah, I mean, he modeled it to a molecular level, so right, like, right, it, right. it's very real. In in the crazies, it's just it's a fictitious um, biotoxin that uh that is sort of like a combination of rabies and Ebola makes you extremely aggressive and then it kills you in a very bloody way. Right. But it doesn't, you know, if, if it were Ebola, it would be a lot bloodier than what happened in the movie. Yes. But with the steps that happen in the movie, people get sick, they give it to others, the government finds out and quarantines the town, and then they do a cost benefit analysis. How do we contain this? Is it containable? All of that is Totally real,
3: right? Right. I mean,
4: Romero made two kinds of movies, basically paranoid thrillers and zombie movies. This was paranoid thriller, but it based Breck actually went to the CDC too to talk about oh, really? like what are the what are the steps on an outbreak like this? And the reviews oh, we got, great. like people got the reality of it. Okay, it's a movie and it's an action movie. And it wouldn't look exactly like that, but it would look like that.
1: Well, is it safe to say then, and can you promise all the listeners that uh, you know, when it comes to 2012 and beyond, that you just you open up uh, your to-do list and number one movie, the next virus movie. (laughs) (laughs) It seems to have been a winner for you. Mm, I don't see any reason not to do one a year. (laughs) Milk this genre. You've got it. The romantic comedy based
2: on a virus. Yes.
1: Uh, if you need help brainstorming, uh-huh. Marty. Romance—it's contagious. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it "Oops, Love." <laughs> oops,
2: love. By the way, um, you are turned into uh, you are tuned into Nooner. We go from tw- twelve to two. Dan and Marty hosting. Our guest today is Jonathan King, producer of Con- executive producer of Contagion, and uh, let's see, co-producer of Dream Girls and executive producer of The Beaver. So. Hmm.
1: Was there, what was, <laughs> What's that? A, what? <laughs> that was a, that was well, I was awesome. just like
4: thinking, mm. where did Marty get these? Just I think he's like, IMDB. Yeah, he's he just IMDB.
1: Yeah, because you know yeah, I, I did say earlier, just so you know, I just say, you can look him up on IMDB, but I don't think it's reflective of. It's no, sort you of, know, I, mean, I love The isn't. Beaver.
2: I think right. that movie, I mean. So The Beaver is the Jody Foster directed film with Mel Gibson playing the mentally uh, dis. Uh, Unstable husband and father who has a, so- a puppet that he finds who becomes his his confidant. Right,
4: where well, he sort of speaks through the puppet represents his
1: super ego. I like see I, others, I'm like sorry. i sorry, I see most humors. I didn't see that one. I'm sorry. Yeah. You can. Uh-huh. It's on I, DVD now. I will eventually. Um, I got to watch Marty's Japanese film Nobody Knows first, but I was assigned uh, that this morning. Nah. Let's <laughs> t- let's look at this in a more macro way. You ca- you basically came out and started in at Miramax, yes. right? In, more or less. Yeah. And and uh, and that's where you sort of cut your teeth. What was the first movie you produced? Did I really produce? Yeah, yeah, that you really, yeah, that you really were like active on board. Whether you got sometimes I know you get co-producer credit when you're actually doing the thing. What was the first thing out of the gate for you?
4: Uh, the Alarmist. Oh, the right. movie when I quit. Well, because I've been working at Miramax for like three years and I worked on movies there. And then there was, the company was sort of changing from, we weren't really into first time feature mm-hmm. writer directors anymore. And I was still really into that idea. And I had this movie that Evan Dunsky had written that um he wanted to direct and I thought it was terrific and it had a great cast and they just didn't have the money for it. It was like a 2 million dollar movie. Right. And I thought it was great and I thought and I really liked Evan and thought we should make that movie and and we weren't really in that business anymore. And uh like I had wanted to make House of Yes. Oh
3: right. Yeah, you know, terrific,
4: and we like passed movie. on it and then we bought it when it was it's done. done right. Which I guess is smart business, like wait and see if if it if it's Good before you spend well, the money the two things on are excuse, Good yeah. for
1: them, but not where you wanted to be. You yeah, but I was kind to of like,
4: wanted to be I mean. making those yeah. movies. And so, so I had this movie with no money and mm-hmm. Bo and Stefan, who had produced House of Yes and John's with Joe and also Bo Flynn and Stefan uh, Simcovitz had a company called Bandera Entertainment and, uh, they had money, but no movie. And I had been, I bought House of Yes from them in Amy Israel and, um, and, uh, bought another movie that we had picked up for dvd and just really liked them they were young aggressive producers in la and we had gotten to be very good friends and uh so they had money from backers to make a movie no movie i had a movie no money from my one backer (laughs) so i said to evan i'm gonna quit my job these guys will produce your movie we'll produce your movie and and how's that sound to you and he said fantastic (laughs) okay so So then i quit my job and i was lucky because like a lot of people quit their executive jobs and then try to become producers and there's a long long ramp up but my last day at work was my first day of production
1: that's great because you're right yeah i mean having done that myself even though i purposely took off a year after i uh left orion when i was vp production there after mpca it was freaking hard to get back into yeah. it after you took even a little bit of yeah. time off. So that was good that you had the right to jump in and was. And then once you were in bed with them, you know, uh, we started getting to know each other personally. But also, you then produced John Enbom's first indie film, Starfucker or Starstruck. Starfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Starfucker is a name everybody wanted. It. Uh, um, and, Dust and they, Stardust. Remember when it was oh, called that? I mean, the perfect title was Starfucker, but the the distributor yeah. the, was nervous. No, like them. we couldn't. I remember
4: exactly where I was when Starfucker came into me because I was in. Uh, I'd been in London looking for money and whatever projects and meeting with everyone and talking about this movie that I really wanted to make called Dustin Sardis and people were like what's it called again? What's it called again? (laughs) And I was in flying back from London coaching on Continental because I was an indie producer (laughs) Continental. I was delirious in like my nine and a half hours of my 11 hour flight and just thinking like I have to think of a new title for this movie (laughs) when I started with like drinking and taking Xanax and whatever. (laughs)
0: And I just, every good producer does to lay the groundwork for fertile so, brainstorming.
4: Well, <laughs> just punch drunk. Am I drunk, I guess? And then just sat up in my seat and said, Starfucker! <laughs> Hope you said it very loud. And people cat. around me were like, um, So we have Xanax to thank for that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Brought to you by... Um, um, and then we changed the title page, sent it out again, and like, it immediately
1: went to the top of everyone's reading stack and we put the movie together a, pretty quickly. Amazing. And it was great, and John. You know,
3: we,
1: we all know each other. The time and, uh, and 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 uh, and you produced that movie with him. And, and I seem to recall that I that you, you I, I think I did like basically second unit for you guys. Like shot the, the yeah. movie within the movie. Were right? you in too? Yes,
2: right. Yes, Marty? Right. Are you in that movie? Yeah, yeah. That's you. You gave me my sad card on that one. Right. Or are you tapped hardly me for that. And, and then
4: and then you were in another movie. You you in that you were in
2: every movie. <laughs> 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 you are never glad, Marty. I got to roll around in bed with um Sarah uh, Polly. Sorry, Sarah Polly. He said Sarah Polly. Yeah, yeah,
1: for all day. That was when I was not that. <laughs> <laughs> the glory days of Marty. You. Um, and then so you were you were indie. Well, you were producing with Bandera, but which was sort of an indie producing outfit, sort yeah. of uh, like a make your own way outfit, really. Yeah. And and then that led to Larry Mark. or
4: Well, I knew I'd known Larry when I was an executive at Miramax, and he. um he was always just really supportive of the indie producing stuff. He would read scripts and think, say like, "This is great," and right. you're going to make it for what? A million dollars? And
1: yeah. he was an illustrious student, stu- yeah. Studio producer. I mean, like, yeah. just hit
4: it, after
3: it,
4: hit, and d- a deal at Disney for a long time. But then had started making more movies for Columbia, right. you know, or TriStar or Columbia TriStar or whatever Sony. Um, like, as good as it gets, and Jerry Maguire famously, and was, so was moving his, his deal was up at Disney, he was moving his deal to Sony. The guy who was running his company, a guy named John Baldecki, who's a really good producer, was not going, was going out on his own. And so Larry had said to me, do you want to come do this?
1: Right.
4: And I'd, he'd never really said it. We had talked about it, sort of in concept for a long time. And then, you know, and the thing Bandero, Bandera, we were doing great. We'd made five movies in 18 months of first time. Guinevere? Guinevere, and, um, uh, Life During war, or The Alarmist, Starbuck or Guinevere, Judas Kiss, something, another one that right. Bo was doing while I was doing Guinevere. Um, but we were broke. You know, when you're an indie producer, you, no matter how much you're working, even, right. even potentially if you're working more, you're making less. No, <laughs> no it's true. You I know?
1: mean, like, I, cause I did the MPCA where I cut my teeth it was kind of a yeah. similar outfit and you just, you just constant, it's, it's just constant grind. There was yeah. never a moment reason. Whew, at least I can breathe easy for a blank amount yeah. of time. Nope, no so, easy ever.
4: We were Wait. broke and we were trying to support three people on, you know, on that kind of, the, and our assistants and the other, you know, our post supervisor. Like we had an in house post supervisor and a delivery person. We couldn't do it.
2: Yeah. So the overhead is what, what, what brought you guys to, like, crippled you or?
4: Yeah, I well, I mean, if you consider overhead, like <laughs> buying <laughs> breakfast for yourself and car insurance, <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, we're, we're talking like, her, right? I mean, do you know how much I made producing Starfucker? Zero. Negative yeah. money. You know, yeah. on Guinevere, by the time you split our – it's. I mean, it's the classic independent producer thing. Like, That's you get right. squeezed. The first thing the financier says is, how about deferring your fee?
1: Yeah, and you know, even like, it, you get squeezed down to. I've made on like on *Come Early Morning*. I made ten grand, and I I was on that for six years. Yeah, you know, and there's reasons on another indie movie. I made a buck, literally. Yeah, one dollar <laughs> was a deal. I mean, and there are reasons why I did that and did that happily. But um, yeah, but you just it you just know, gets, but like you pay. You can't
4: not pay done. your assistant. You yeah. can't not have health insurance. You That's can't. Right. You know, you got to pay your rent.
2: So and did, have you ever been paid deferred uh, money or back end money? No,
4: no. Several of our <laughs> finances <laughs> never years, happens. One of the I don't want to mention any names. The, the person who financed one of my movies has courtside seats at the Lakers and whenever I go and I see him sitting there, I want to shout at him, Where's my fifteen thousand dollars, motherfucker? <laughs>
1: well so Jack Nicholson, that was really rude of you. <laughs> um, so so when Larry Mark said, Hey, why don't you run my my studio producing company? That probably yeah. sounded like a great Yeah, and uh, he said
4: we can do we can work with all the people you like to work with, or you can do indie movies on the side, we'll take your well, you know, he and his movies were so good. I mean, like, you can't look at a movie like Jerry Maguire and say, "Well, ugh,
1: well, I don't want to go work for that outfit." Right?
3: Exactly.
1: <laughs> it's exactly the sort of movie like that that Hollywood should be at always making, like, adult mm-hmm. but yet entirely engaging, great star performances, yeah. great writing, director. So. It's just like classic package.
4: And like the first thing that that I brought in and read the the s- script that had been a Nichols final s- script called Finding Forrester, That's and I got name. it a little early and. We just bought it and I was like, you know who would really like this? And this goes back to Kevin in a way. Oh yeah. yeah.
1: Gus Vincent. That's right.
4: So we showed Vincent. it to Gus and he said, Sure, I want to do that.
1: And he's always had a career of sort of alternate movies <laughs> Gus movies and then doing a really good job bringing yeah. something grounded and unique to studio movies. I mean that movie felt like a studio movie, but it had, you know, a, an integrity to it.
4: And it was a fable. I mean, yeah. I guess that was Gus's concept on it. And it was about all these things that you know, the Bronx and basketball and
1: Things so, special things,
4: things are I love.
1: Oh, did <laughs> you love. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't was, know that about Gus, but I know that about yeah. you basketball. Was,
4: I mean. What was it like working with him? Was he fun to work with? With Gus? Yeah. Oh, Gus is a dream. Okay. You know, he came in a day ahead of schedule, under budget, is the nicest guy alive, the most creative, will take an idea from anywhere and remember who gave it to him and give them credit for
3: it. That's astonishing. He's always like,
4: <laughs> he always, like whenever we were screening the movie, there was one line in the movie that like, I had sort of ad-libbed in a meeting. Right. And when it, it always got a laugh in the um, test screenings and Gus would always turn to me like, that's your line. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's you said, no, that was all Xanax. <laughs> I think actually that is a good, if we can impart little lessons in Nooner along the way... Is I would say that one of the little ones, and you know, I try to do this, not perfect at it. Like, have the confidence to always give people credit and props for mm-hmm. the things they do. It is not going to take away from you or make you less to do that. And you're surprised yeah. by how many people don't do that. They get yeah. they don't want to ever say a compliment or ever acknowledge somebody else chipped in somewhere along the way. That just to in but. Do it. Do that. It's not only the yeah. right thing to do. It's, it's a karmically great thing to do. And yeah.
4: people. And it's the, I mean, Kate. the directors who have confidence do that. Right. Like Soderbergh is so good at that because right. he's supremely confident that what he's doing is, you know, he's, he's running that show, but he'll take an idea and say,
2: that's a great idea. And at, at case in point, yeah. the nooner uh, Friday pick of the week, you know. The,
1: uh how's that a case in point, Marty?
2: Oh, oh credit where credit's due. Yeah, no, yeah, no.
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Marty's fired. Um <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, that is Hypocrite. that is it's what's that? It, it is astonishing to me how many people out here uh have you know what the other thing is that and 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 then I won't soapbox about this either, but is that it's so easy in Hollywood is rightfully so, often depicted as a bunch of ruthless sharks constantly Mm -hmm. trying to undermine each other because, in fact, that is a great deal of what it comes to. But what is actually more surprising is there's actually so many people who are rooting for other people and their colleagues to succeed, far more than movies and TV would let you know about Mm -hmm. Hollywood. And so I I think that that is a part of it when when you're giving out credits because it actually feels good when the people you're working with know are also – Moving forward and going, mm-hmm. it isn't. This is not a hundred percent out here at just a pool of sharks and people who are jealous of
4: everything. Yeah, and no, I'm so that. thrilled when I see, you know, people I know who have worked their way up, get a credit on a movie that I know they worked really hard
3: mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Also, so, because yeah,
4: we
2: okay. hopefully in the future will work with those people because we like working with our friends. Yeah. There
1: you go. So credit, where credit's due, except <laughs> in the case of the bit about telling Olivia what movie to watch, in which case that was my bit. That's right. <laughs> Um, the tape. No, uh, Larry Mark brought us Dream Girls. Yes. Yeah. See, that yeah, was who is Larry it? Mark? What's that?
2: Who is Larry Mark? Larry, oh, Lawrence Mark. We were just, we were talk just talk talking. About I don't okay. know if you were oh, listening yeah. to the show that we're doing. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just didn't get piece <laughs> okay. yeah. together Larry and Lawrence <laughs> asshole. I don't hang out with him. <laughs> we're not on that kind of first name. Basis. I should say Lawrence
1: Mark because uh, I actually, I mean, I know him well enough. Where like he, when he looks at me, he goes, oh, hey," but, but that's it. Yeah. That's that
2: weird. That's, that's and incredible. you're like, "Larry,
3: Larry, Larry,
4: Larry." No, that was another. Like that worked out great. That was yeah. that was a happy experience, right? Because that was Bill Condon was an old friend of mine. Right. and we had always wanted to do something with bill and it was it like every now and then larry would say something like let's have lunch with your friend bill and talk <laughs> about movies
3: <laughs> so i would call
4: bill and we would schedule lunch and we would go to, we went to orlando orsini which is not there anymore right Dearly departed and we were talking about musicals because bill had written chicago and we were talking about what a good script that was and we were like, you really should direct a musical and bill said and the only musical I really want to direct is Dreamgirls, and David Geffen has the rights so that. He's never going to let those go. And Larry said, "Well, I know David. I can just ask him. I don't think that he's not. I think he got. He didn't want to do it before, but he might." So like, Larry went back to the office after lunch. We drove back together, and, and you know, he called David Geffen. <laughs> David was like, that. "Sure, come on up. I'll, I'll talk to him." So Larry and Bill went up and talked about it like the next day there was a deal that Bill would write the script and he was working on Kinsey. It took him a long time, but then he gave us the script right before Christmas and it was, Fantastic, and, 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 so, I, and, and
1: I also love that film. I love yeah, that movie. I love, yeah. I love what you do with Eddie Murphy in the movie and, and the, the whole yeah. thing. So, uh. Bill's another one. He's a dream to work with. Yeah. I mean, so far, I mean, with Gussie and Zamp, Bill Kahn and Steve Soderbergh, okay, now I'm officially jealous and want to tear you down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Dan, tell us about working with Polly Shore. <laughs> Thanks, Marty. You I you. Seven, <laughs> hey,
1: hey man, do you uh Jay, are you with us? Because it's it's one o four. We're gonna take a brief uh break in the in the uh the uh biographical journey of Jonathan King because guess what time it is, Marty? 104?
2: I'm ready where you are,
1: Dan. Now you, have you heard the show? You know of Marty Saltball, so I don't have to explain the bit yeah. to you. Okay I, yeah. or the Okay, he, see. Marty gets on me, and he's right about this. That the explanation for the bit is far longer than the bit of it. Just very briefly, we just wanted to, Marty has three questions for every guest, just guest, just to shake things up. But there's no gimmick. Like Camarino came on and panicked because he thought, "Oh, there's I some know. humorous link between it." There's nothing Marty more softball. than just three I do softball remember questions. Softball. <laughs> yeah. So that's <laughs> right. And we like to just just so we break it up a bit. Marty, softball number one for Jonathan King. Go baby.
2: All right. This is one because I know
1: you, Jonathan. What kind of toothpaste do you use? Hmm.
3: hmm. I don't, why
1: does that? Because I know you. It, that sounds it, it like it had a, like an importance. Well, because Jonathan has a penchant for toothbrushes.
4: I do. Yeah, I walk around. I actually get tons of shit around my office for it because I walk around the office brushing my teeth constantly. You
1: that guy? There was a guy in the bathroom in our office yesterday when I went in who had a 15-minute ritual. He had everything laid out, toothbrush. Floss this homemade mouthwash thing that you brought in. Mm. Are you that guy? I
4: uh, know I don't do that. I, just, no, but I you, do brush my you teeth. You
1: try
2: different types of
4: toothbrushes too, right? Yes. You got, a, you got a like my toothpaste, I use this stuff called Prevident, which is mm. a made by Colgate or Crest or something that my Dr. Delmont. Yes, Dr. Gives Dr. a Gives slash sells to me. <laughs>
1: there you go, Dr. Delmont. There's your plug. <laughs> I seriously want a crown for free. Um, but I have never. By the, the light reflecting uh, off his white
4: teeth. I've <laughs> never had a cavity. So I tell really? when every time someone gives me shit in the office, I'm like, yeah.
1: Never, That's incredible. not one in my life. That's incredible. You are from I've, Southern California, though, where just beautiful things happen. Right. Um, it, Prevident sounds to me like, and I'm sure it's great, but it sounds to me like that thing you loathe of, like a committee of marketing people got together and said, "What do we name this?" And right. Prevident, right? Yeah, no, it's but,
4: about I don't know. I've yeah, like, prevention issues or something. You, well, so, apparently, Some not issue.
1: You have no, uh, any. No, uh, yeah. So good well. on you. Um, do you have a? Uh, I am considering for. Listeners, my birthday on Halloween, uh, October 31st. Yeah. Um, I'm considering getting, uh, getting myself one of those, uh, what do you call it? Electric toothbrushes. Yeah. I, was, I was, I realized I was almost making a blowjob gesture I trying to get the well, electric toothbrush I out. I get you it a TG-13 <laughs> <for> that gesture. <laughs> That's, we tell can that story right. we shall moment. tell that yes. story. Oh, I brought you some
4: gifts, by the way. Oh, great. Well, we will get um, to it.
1: Um, but, uh, do you, do you use electric toothbrush? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. They're
4: like twelve dollars at Costco. So. Oh, really? I was going to get one wait. from
1: Doctor Delmont. It was like a hundred and sixty dollars. No, never mind.
2: You don't go oh, for the Sonic I just thought ride? of something for your birthday. Oh. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: It'll be a surprise. Okay, good. <laughs> well, by right. the way, I'd like to thank the listeners who wished me a happy birthday last uh, couple weeks ago. So.
1: Oh fuck, Marty, did we not do that on here?
2: Oh, don't act like you feel <laughs> bad about it. <laughs> happy,
1: happy belated, babe. Yes. Happy belated. Um. Okay, softball number two. Wait, Dan, what, what about your toothpaste? Oh, uh, you know what? I didn't really have anything interesting to say that. I'm just, I'm just a, a Colgate total guy. But <laughs> I will say this, I will say this. I brush and floss now two to three times a day, and I had the checkup of my life last week. And it felt good for once, because I have mm-hmm. southern teeth. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's just, they're just. Left to their own devices, it's just – it's like kudzu. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't – not your want tongue. It. Stop growing so I got to – oh, yeah. Don't I forget the, to scrape your tongue. tongue. So good lessons here. Be nice to other people in Hollywood and scrape, scrape that your tongue. tongue. <laughs> <laughs> scrape it, baby. Get in there. That's I want everybody to scrape the tongue right, right now. Noon or 12 to 2. <laughs> right. like, like, your like a movie? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's turned the into <laughs> a show for the Oprah Winfrey Network. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Dr. Oz oh, <I'll laughs> or what the other doctor is. Whatever gay doctor they got on there mm-hmm. now. Um, okay, Marty. You're, hey, Marty, what's funny is the Skype is frozen. You have the dumbest look on your face. It's <laughs> kind of amusing to me, but I can't explain <laughs> it to the listeners.
2: I'm going to turn off the camera just so we can... Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, All uh, right. So
1: give us salt ball number two while you're fidgeting
2: with that. All right. What... Was the the movie that convinced you to go into, into movies as a career? Hmm. That convinced me to do it or
4: that made me want to do it? Inspired you? Tommy.
2: Why? Tommy?
4: Tommy, oh, which my I God. got to see at an inappropriately young age. <laughs> <laughs> my cousin
2: Stephanie took me to see it when I was like... Three. <laughs> <laughs>
4: for,
2: those, for those who don't know, Tommy is a rock opera written by The Who, starring Roger Daltrey, Tina Turner, Elton John, and Margaret, and Jack Nicholson, by Oliver
4: and... Reed. Oh.
2: Directed by Ken Russell, is that right? Ken Russell. I'd never it's saw until year ago. Psychedelic, it's a fantastic out. movie. It's,
1: yeah, it's really cool. I went with Gabriel Rye, who edited Starfucker. Yeah. He and I went, and we we he picked up a little something from the medical marijuana thing because we both had a headache. And he had done yeah, and he were going and Saw it at the at the uh, preventative super high at Private the Academy Pop. of uh, <laughs> uh, the Academy Awards <laughs> year, where they uh-huh. showed it. Where Ken Russell was doing q and A Q&A afterwards. What was he wearing? It, well, it, beyond that, it was. The worst Q and A in the history of man. It, it's, it's a little hard to describe because he was cantankerous and non communicative. And at first you thought it was kind of a bit mm-hmm. and he would break through. But at the, so the interviewer kept trying and literally for 20 or 20, 25 minutes, he, Ken would either say nonsense or something combatively ugly, b- but very brief until like finally people were leaving in droves. And finally the interviewer literally just said, I mean, I give up. I don't know what to do here. We <laughs> flew you over from oh. London, and you are not giving us one straight answer. It, it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen.
4: Apparently, he's completely banana.
1: Well, th- this was... He's a great uh, director. Went beyond, uh, it went beyond funny or performance art or that's so off that that's great. You literally were like, well, fuck you too, Ken Russell. Right. I'm out of here. Right. So.
4: But i love that movie for anybody who's listening who has not seen that movie like <laughs> go get the dvd and, and watch get it. high yeah and, yeah and watch it really loud and i think just, you got like, it that way you gotta get it yeah, but you, you like you watch stuff that stuff movie somewhere. and you think oh that's where that piece in this other movie after that came from so many people have ripped off things techniques and just style and yep. montage so, and storytelling style from that movie
2: so what what about the movie like it, it, was it the direction that, that It was the direction and it was just how
4: kind of nasty it was, but also <laughs> emotional and it was so big and it o- was an overwrought but a overwrought but in a spectacular but, way and yeah, yeah, and it was glamorous and dirty and, and musical <laughs> and, and but mean, also yeah. emotional, like it totally but and crazy, like crazy character and storytelling and tina turner and elton john i mean it had everything that a little impressionable 11 year old sitting in the theater you know just like with my literally like my hair blowing back like i was sitting in front of a jet engine being like holy
2: shit i mom is just afterwards like have a bowl
1: of baked beans
3: no (laughs) well that's Um,
2: intense
1: That's intense. I love that. I think uh, the and it's the. I think it's the same year. But I had a. uh, I'm I'm only slightly younger than you, Jonathan. But like for me, and this is my number one favorite movie of all time. Although I'm not suggesting it is the best movie of all time. But I grew up on Virginia Beach, and I already had an obsession with sharks. And then what compounded it when Jaws came out in 1975 was that it, you know, the mo- it was popular in a time where the lines would be down the street. Mm-hmm. And I was six and my parents wouldn't let me see it because they didn't want me to be too scared to go into the ocean that I live next to, which I get it. But, and in that time where nothing's on TV, there's no rental or anything like that. So I didn't get to see it in the theater. So it just built up in my head. So when I saw it, w- when it was re-released in 1977, I think, mm-hmm. or eight. That was the movie that made me want to to yeah, to, to make movies. I, and I know, so I know that it was. It's not quite as. It's a. It's a bit more of a populist thing, but it was the thing that I mean. But I still hold that movie up as the indiest of the blockbusters. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, the Michael Chapman, who was the operator on that movie, went, later went to be the DP on Raging Bull. If you if you ever want to look at Jaws and and just turn off the sound, this is how much of a nerd I am. But I, most of the movie shot in in like master shot, just one shot. I mean, incredibly well orchestrated, well acted, very long one shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's uh and at the end of the day it's about three guys in a boat for the last hour which I mean, no studio would do that now so anyway it, Kevin and I actually oh. have bonded on Jaws for fifteen years we keep sending each other Jaws memorabilia but that was the the movie for mm-hmm. me I'd, a more traditional answer because I know that many people of course have seen and loved Jaws but <laughs> so Tommy the more interesting answer but there's mine Marty <laughs> yes yes and and, and you can we... turn your camera on because I I like seeing your your uh, paused oh. bloated face. No,
2: <laughs> how dare you? What? You're rude, <laughs> rude, rude. Okay. No, I'm, I'm just. I'm turning the camera off when I speak so that it doesn't, you know, skip or whatever. That sounds good. Um, yeah, and we've spoken about Jaws, oh, every week, so oh, okay, it's Sorry, good that we got
1: no, to no, talk about it. You know, so, well, uh, t- uh, I do want to say, Tyson just tweeted in something about Altered States and, and Ken Russell, and there's a great um, anecdote about uh, that movie and that Paddy Chayefsky was, you know, the you know the movies, rock star screenwriter. I mean, not a rock star, but I mean, he was the greatest screenwriter of all time, some would think, and, and had incredible power because he had, was doing a trilogy uh, a, a black comedy trilogy, which started with Hospital with George C. Scott, which is pretty darn good. But then in Network was the middle one, and Network is on my top five of all time. Truly uh, just a tremendous one, was most pre- prescient yeah. and as powerful today as then. And then the third one was going to be Altered States, his take on the biomedical community in a darkly comic way. And he was so powerful he was able to have in his contract that you couldn't change a word of his dialogue. You couldn't mm-hmm. – the director could not do that. I don't even know if that would be legal now or whatever. So Ken Russell gets his hands on it. And he directs Altered States, and he doesn't change in the dialogue, but he directs the scenes. I guess it's a powerful statement about what a director do. He, the way he stages and directs the scenes change the meaning of the scenes despite <laughs> the dialogue not being changed. To, you, know, you know, We can quibble about whether Altered States is good or whatever or not, but it's not the movie that Padachevsky wrote, mm-hmm. and that's why he disowned it. Even though he had in his contract, don't change a word of dialogue, Ken Russell mm -hmm. was able to somehow make a completely different (laughs) and and crazy movie.
2: But it it makes me think, like, okay, in the original script, there was no mention of a proto-human jumping out of a sensory (laughs) deprivation tank.
1: Like, I think that's a bullshit story. uh, Well, no, but I mean, like, that may not have been in dialogue. I I know, but... So you're calling foul on my, my anecdote?
2: Oh, no, no. I've heard the
1: anecdote as well.
2: Oh, okay. And right. it just then seems – uh, on to town right. It's a stretch. But it's, it's a great story and uh, you <laughs> should see you. the hospital and you definitely should Oh, yeah. Hey,
1: by the way, Olivia, if you're out there, network. I mean you know, my top five is going to be – I mean Jaws, Network, and Withnail and I all have to be in the top five. I, I don't know the other two on any given day. It could be shampoo, cable, or something like that. But mm-hmm. anyway, <gasps> see how softballs – it's just like I you know. just go and you go and <laughs> you go. And, and You can't stop the guy. No, you can't stop me. Okay, softball number three, Martin Yu.
2: All right. So uh Jonathan you have uh spent social time with Dan over the years Correct. right You've gone on Correct. trips oh, okay. and partied and whatnot affirmative yeah okay that that's not the question the, the oh, okay. softball is <laughs> oh. what's the most embarrassing story you can tell the listeners about Dan Etheridge on
1: that's a hard uh, ball, it's, Marty. That's a hard ball for him. That's a hard no, ball for me. It's a hard I feel ball for like you, you really softball. fuck the softballs it's, here. It's on the tip
2: of it, he. It's right in the forefront of his mind. It's easy. I don't. Know,
1: I don't know if it's. The, I mean, you're welcome to tell whatever's on. There's no holds barred, except don't. don't the most say. embarrassing. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, oh but my
3: the God, thing is, this sort of so thing. Many. I think.
1: <laughs> 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 but I think it's something you might need if you need time been, to let that percolate in the back. Yeah,
3: just most entertaining,
2: embarrassing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We will do that. Humiliating. Deep. Um, while we're doing that, we'll talk, like, and to, we will, while you're thinking about that, I will say how Jonathan and I finally, after 15 years, got to work together, uh, in yeah. the last a year, a year two ago. We, John and Baum wrote a script about 10 years ago called The Good Doctor, and we, like, at one point we had Casey Affleck attached, at one point Ryan Phillippe, but we couldn't quite ever get the money together. And, uh, two years ago, uh, Orlando Bloom came on board and yeah. it helped us secure the financing, um, and uh, we actually shot that movie a year and a half ago. It premiered at Tribeca, and it will be coming me to too. a theater near you in 2012.
4: Exactly. You and it's me, playing maybe. at Mill Valley yeah, this right, weekend. Right, this weekend.
1: A King Etheridge production. Exactly. Oh, that's
4: one of the presents I brought you. Oh,
1: you're kidding. What's that?
4: A letter from the IRS. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, wait, are you serious?
4: <laughs> I'm opening this live on air. Uh-oh. Oh, Read shit. it. I don't know. It's um, something to do with something. about
1: uh, This is a gift. This is so uncool. It,
2: this is, I can see on the camera. It genuinely is a letter. Yeah. From that. Okay. We. We're, okay. I that actually don't letter. think it's
4: that bad. I think there's something for our account. It's a. Know. It's a
1: letter from the IRS. Thank you, Jonathan. Oh, sure. I also That's brought you a CD. Our listenership <laughs> is <laughs> back in, great. in the IRS. So great. It was be- really <laughs> great working with you. Now we're in trouble with the government.
4: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I brought you. This was from. Uh, I brought him a uh, CD from the Speaking Clock Review, which is this uh concert tour that t-bone Burnett put together oh, wow. around our movie last summer our documentary last summer called um waiting for superman oh yes yes so yes, is, was, of course That's how much
2: overlap the, do you do you have with the nonfiction part of the participant you uh,
1: say that i'm gonna see what you did i gotta use a bathroom i've never had to use a bathroom before the show really? before you, started the ba- you talk about that i'm gonna use a bathroom
4: okay uh not much i mean you know I, Diane's office is right next to mine. And so I know exactly what's going. And not, Diane, Diane Wyerman, who runs documentaries brilliantly for participant and is responsible wait. for movies like Inconvenient in Truth and Waiting for Superman and Food Inc. And last, last call at the Oasis.
2: Yes. That's the <laughs> film that my sister directed. Have you seen it yet? I have seen it. What'd you um,
4: think? I think it's terrific. It's, it's a lot of movie, right? It is a tremendous amount of movie. Um, <laughs> it's i mean it's the where where they went and the stories they uh tracked down is incredible and the way that yeah. she wove them all together it's really it, good it's just yeah. a good movie i mean it's packed with information about the water crisis worldwide and but it's also just a good movie so it's, it's it's
2: entertaining it's heartbreaking it's yeah. and then and then it kind of works out sort yes. of <laughs>
4: Coming to theaters near you from ATO Pictures
2: next That year. is, um, what's his name? Dave Matthews' Dave company. Dave Matthews' company, yeah. We premiered yeah.
4: it at Toronto this year. It was just finished uh-huh. um, and uh, showed it at the Toronto Film Festival and sold it to ATO. So,
2: so. The Beaver uh, was a script that was on what's called The Blacklist. Do you want to explain what The Blacklist is? The Blacklist
4: started as a very informal was started by a guy named Franklin Leonard, and he pulled just his friends, basically people who were working in development and production around Hollywood, what are their favorite unproduced scripts and It was all secret um anonymous I should say, and then he would publish the list, the top fifty uh, of unmade screenplays. Of unmade screenplays and then it became it's become a much bigger uh endeavor now. And people kind of campaigned to get on it and things like that. But The Beaver was a couple of years ago when it was still a little more informal. Uh, and um, it won. You know, it was one Kyle Script won. So. Um,
2: and had you read it at that point? I had,
4: yeah. And I always thought it was extremely clever and also, you know, a great way to talk about mental illness. And, oh, right. you know, I'm not a person who suffers from depression, but I know them. And, right. I, I get it. I just thought it was really clever, but also emotional. And, and did the
2: fact that? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. So, so I guess we got back on, to the beaver. Oh, yeah, to the beaver. We're, yeah. we're talking about the blacklist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Brandon. Right yeah. So was the fact that it was on the blacklist make it attractive to other companies or your, or you? You know, I mean, what well, I
4: think what the blacklist did best in the early days, especially was call attention to things that. People who maybe like higher up the food chain wouldn't be paying attention to that because it, it was mostly junior development executives saying, "I love this script
2: have there been any others that have been made that were on the top of the blacklist? I think butter one,
4: which just premiered at Toronto too Jennifer Garner was a long movie. time
1: ago a Charlie Kaufman script on the blacklist. Probably, mm-hmm. yeah. But, kind of feels like the sort of script it would be.
3: Yeah.
4: I mean, I think in in a way, there's also a bit of a blessing and curse. I was talking to our friend Sarah Polly when I was in Toronto, oh, who I've kept in touch with. Did she ask um, about me? She did. She was like, "Where? Where's the super fit <laughs> Asian guy?
3: Come on, he's dead. <laughs> Remember
4: him? Um, and because uh, she super had an Asian guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He, because uh, she had a, she premiered a movie that she made um, called Take This Waltz that was, the script was on the blacklist last year and she got, I mean, her first movie away from her was, you know, got multiple Academy Award nominations. It was fantastic. Right. She sold it Lionsgate. It was incredibly well received and she got, um, you know, justifiably got incredible notices from that movie and a lot of success. And then she wrote this script and it was on the blacklist and she said... She got some she got a lot of really good reviews. she got a few not so kind reviews and she was talking about the kind of the curse a bit of the blacklist is that you think that you've written something that is a perfect work of art as a script because it reads great, and then people give you notes on it to you know you might want to think about this when you're actually making the movie and she said a lot of the notes she got were things that she was worried about, but she also had all this backing and she was like, well, I got Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman, Michelle Williams to be in the movie and I've got the money. Like, I don't need to do anything. And she said she had nagging feelings in her head that she could address some of these things and just didn't do them. She was like, Oh, I'll work it out on set or I don't need to do that. And I should just go with my impulse. And she said it was a perfect sort of second film. Because right. she didn't, it, it didn't, it's not going to kill her career. It's not right. as well received as away from her. And she knows that she evolved in many ways as a filmmaker. I mean, the, the, just the cinema of it is really great. She took really yeah. interesting, uh, chances as a, just as a purely visual director with the movie. Um, but, but she did talk about the blacklist and saying, you know, the blacklist makes you think that you're, what, what you've committed to paper is, Should not be changed. I guess guess the fine line is where do
1: you, where's the, Mm -hmm. where do you have confidence in the material and you know you need to protect it and where does it truly need to be analyzed? So it's hard to know.
2: I mean, as an audience member, you, like, I was excited to see The Beaver because you figure, like, if something's on the top of the, the blacklist, it's got to be this amazing piece of thing, like, of, of cinema that, that is, that the bigwigs just didn't get. And then, you know, The Beaver, I did like, but it's, it, it, there are things that, were not great in my eyes and
4: well i mean in that movie also you know just it came out in the middle of or toward the tail end right. but i guess there is no end <laughs> right then <That's like, laughs> to the there dark end? cloud that enveloped
1: mel gibson can he ever really have uh right that was ever, hard can, to can get he, do you think he'll ever carry a, a, a big studio movie again i don't want to i don't know yeah hard to say hard to say hard to say it'll be up to them yeah it'll be up to the that powers that be yeah. He he was great in
2: it, but it was hard to. It's an extraordinary performance. Yeah. Mean, think Absolutely. what you will of him
4: as a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the the performance is extraordinary. Yeah. I've always yeah. thought
2: he was a fantastic actor. Yeah. So.
4: He is. Well, yeah. Well, right on. You know, and Jodie really managed. He she managed that performance and him and the cast really well.
1: So right. She's she's very smart. Mm-hmm. From what I understand. Very very smart. Um, but segueing back to our movie. Okay. The good the doctor. Good doctor. <laughs> Can you give us a little,
2: um, uh, the listeners an idea of what it's about?
3: Yeah. Why don't, why don't you do
1: that?
2: John? Sure. It's
4: about a, a young doctor who moves from, uh, finishes med school in England and moves to Southern California to a residency program where he's always dreamed of having a house on the beach and having the respect of his peers and getting the girl. Uh, Basically and being the good being doctor. The good imagines. doctor. And he gets to, Residency, which he finds, as most residents do, in the first couple of days, it's so much harder than you think it's gonna be. <laughs> and he's, you know, always sort of struggled to keep up anyway, and he's really struggling to keep up. And uh he's got, you know, the head nurse who does just has a has it out for him, sort of has an allergic reaction to him, basically. <laughs> um, and then uh gets a a young patient, a young eighteen year old girl who is that beautiful blonde Southern California girl. She's got an incredibly treatable kidney infection and he treats her and she starts to get better. And she's the first person who looks at him like, Oh, you're a doctor and I respect you just because you're my doctor. And, uh, her family sort of treats him that way too. And she gets better and checks out and he engineers, figures out a way to insinuate himself back into (laughs) her life. And, and she checks back into the hospital. Let's say, <laughs> and, and it's he, a
2: downward spiral from uh, there. It's a
4: little we'll suspenseful lead, we'll lead drama. Room. Yes, there, of, there you go. Right, suspense yes, character so drama. Our finely honed and, phrase is Suspenseful
2: yes. drama. And our, Orlando's uh, reviews have been very good.
4: Orlando is fantastic in the yeah, movie. It's really a really is. surprising performance from him. It's you know we always talked about the movie in Hitchcock terms, and he's sort of. That character, if Hitchcock were making that movie, would have been a toss-up probably between Farley Granger and, and
1: uh, Tony and, Perkins. Yeah, Tony Perkins. I mean, at, at, just in case, and someone, I'm not saying this in a joking way, but like I think, intriguingly, both homosexuals. Uh, but yeah. you know, and the characters, both both of those movies had a psychosexual right going on you know ours is a, a there is a psycho not a homosexual one, but there is a, a Granger from between between from strangers Leyland on a train and right? Right. right and a uh, shadow of a doubt yeah. Yeah. yeah so um you know what you know we'd always love that moment a touchstone for us had been in, in in psycho when uh he he has killed the detective martin balsam and and puts his body in the in the in the car and pushes it into the pond and it's you know to sink it mm-hmm. and then it it just before it finishes sinking, it stops for a moment, and you find yourself going, wait, don't stop, sink, sink, and then you're like, oh, no, I'm rooting for the psycho, and it's a deft trick that Hitchcock does, and that, that deftness was, I think, a lot of what N was exploring in the script, and we hope that we explored, uh, interestingly, in, yeah. in the film, yeah. um, which, uh, Magno- you know, I'm going to just pimp this fucker. Totally. Yeah, Magnolia it. Pictures will be putting it out in uh, probably first quarter, 2012. Yeah, I think March, looking March, like yeah? March. Okay. Right on. Um, so yeah, so uh, it it'll be out then. After we did have a we had a really nice we had a really nice reception at Tribeca, which was yeah. nerve wracking. You never know you, how a movie's going to go, and, and people seem to really dig it. So uh, yeah. of course I'll talk more about it next year. But hope we get a chance to check it out.
2: And Jonathan, what what do you have coming after that that you can cast me in? That I can um, cast. Very <laughs> important question. <laughs> yes. It's yes, very important. The audience really wants to know. I've gotten like ten tweets about it all uh-huh. from me.
4: I'm actually uh, I, going to casting for our next movie after
1: this. Oh, really? Wait, can Way you down. say what the next movie is? Or, or,
3: it's it's okay, a movie yeah.
4: that w- is tentatively called Snitch right now. We're doing with um, a guy named Rick Roman wrote it and is directing it. I, Dwayne Johnson I is starring oh, in it. Yeah,
1: well, I meant, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dwayne Johnson. But of course, mm-hmm. I know who Dwayne Johnson is. That's you great.
4: do. Dwayne Johnson and Susan Sarandon. We're casting the rest of it now. It's a, it's a action drama, action drama about a family. Dwayne plays a dad who's, uh, kid high school kid is framed in a drug deal it's actually inspired by a true story with a frontline documentary called snitch
1: and is that um, is that the sort of the angle the, the participant that's the participant angle,
4: angle. Yeah. but it's about the just the awful corruption and mess that the quote war on drugs laws right. are how they're prosecuted how unevenly they're prosecuted how much um discretion if you will uh, prosecutors have and how politically motivated so much sentencing is and
2: right. stuff right. like Is this that, about so. the ex-military guy who gets accused of killing someone Uh-huh uh uh-uh. uh Okay that's a frontline documentary right is. Now are, is PBS involved at all in the, no. the process
4: No No and it's not I mean it's inspired by elements of the of the frontline piece right. um but it's not a it's not the movie does not tell a True, like this is the true story of what happened it's inspired by different story elements of the frontline piece
2: so, and who's directing it
4: guy named rick roman who is a young filmmaker who i've been trying to work with for a while he um this is one of those funny things about like where you just where relationships matter because his right, right. his agent called me like two years ago or two and a half years ago or something he's just like i want to i want to introduce you to this director he just made a film that i think you should see and i was like oh what's the film so well it's it's called Felon and it's um it's a prison fighting movie starring Steven Dorff and Val Kilmer that he made for the Direct to DVD vi- ver- division of Sony <laughs> and I said pass.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: and she said trust me, watch the movie. Right. And I, I know her. She's got great taste. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll watch the movie. The movie's fucking great. <laughs> he made it for no money. He got amazing performances out of both of those guys. And you get, I mean, you can see how fat he shot the movie in like 15 days or something. You can right. see how fast he made the movie in places, but it's a really good script. He got really good performances out of those guys. It's very real. The authenticity of the life in the prison is incredible. And then so. I called her on Monday. I was like, all right, you were right. <laughs> right. 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 I, thank you. Nicole Clemens. I will give her a little shout <laughs> out. Yeah, right. right. Excellent. Taste. Yeah. Um, and uh, I met Rick and we started working together on this other movie, which we haven't made yet, but then he was also working on this one with a company called exclusives. They controlled the rights to the story and then exclusive wanted a partner on the movie. And so we partnered on the movie cause it totally fit our mandate.
1: Right. Right on. So and it's got a nice, a good star in there too. So it's, it's, it's got, got a great star. Potential. Yes. Which is the sweet spot where you want it's to be. It's sort
4: of perfect for Dwayne. I mean, it's a very, he plays a young dad who will do anything basically to save his kid. Right. And you, you know, I buy that from him in a second. Sure. He's got incredible authenticity as an actor, I think.
1: It's usually, I, now I want to see Felon because I mean, I think, you know, not that this other director isn't well known, but like, you know, for me, Drive, which I, I really liked. Is an example. I think if you just took that script, that script could have been like you know when we were, you were working mm-hmm. in Bendare in the nineties or NPCA, like we'd have seen that script and it could be made so not good B movie. Yeah, I mean that it, at the end of the day, the script that the plotting is nothing special in particular. We mm-hmm. saw ten thousand of the scripts get made cheaply in the nineties, mm-hmm. and but just with. Obviously good casting, but just a little bit of directorial vision about what this wanted to be. And some I've choices. a lot of directorial yeah, vision. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, but, and, and choices, you know, in real choices, the, the movie elevates and becomes, you know, yeah. I, I always try to fight against that, like, either something's a masterpiece or it sucks. So I'm not saying it is a masterpiece for the Asian, but what it is, is it's a good movie. Yeah. You I know, mean, it's just, yeah. And, and we have too few in between. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you felt similarly, but it sounds like you so did. So, Olivia, add Felon
2: to your, your watch list. We have mm-hmm. three you movies this, this week. This <laughs> <Next> week. <laughs> A lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, we expect you to watch all of them.
1: Jonathan, would you like to join us in listening to, um, you know, we like to every so often play... An alternative Nooner theme that we did not uh, choose yeah. the actual Nooner theme from our pal Brad Stark in San Francisco, who I'll be seeing this weekend in San Francisco. We're going karaokeing at the Mint on Sunday night. That'll be fun. Um, <laughs> Are you plugging your appearance? <laughs> no, no, Billy, because I don't. I'm not going to karaoke. I'm just going to have drinks and. and You're not going to do your signature song. No, that will get me in trouble. <laughs> I, th-
3: I, think, uh-huh. I don't think.
1: I don't think that audience is ready for my version of Old Man River. Um,
4: no, no, no. I was thinking the other signature song. which I Die? Yeah. Oh, well, I might do that.
1: Um, I, which I have stolen is my signature <laughs> oh, really? song. Too. Well, Never right, when we're together. Songs in one.
4: It is. is and yeah, it's for San someone who's – I mean, you yeah. can actually sing. Yeah. I cannot.
3: I can,
1: I can, you can
4: sell a tune. I can sell.
1: I can't sing. I can sell. You sing. can sell
4: a song. I, can I cannot <laughs> sing at all. As you know,
1: I'm You're not a great singer. You have many talents. But I'm not a great singer either. Well, I'm mostly gonna let Brad and, uh, and Nick, uh, sing. And I'm gonna sit back and have drinks. Okay. Um, so why don't we give a listen? This is a, inspired by, um, uh, uh inspired by the Breakfast Club. Uh, Breakfast Club. We used to be such good
0: friends. We could tell each other anything. I guess it helped that we weren't really each other's types. Then one day, out of nowhere, you said, but I didn't hear you, so I was like, what? You said, I knew it would
3: be nice? I said, forget about movie, forget about movie, let's make this thing happen, it's easy to share, forget about
0: friendship, forget about love, but even will be attraction, something new,
3: look, forget about friendship, forget about hanging out, we have played that one already.
1: Right. You know I, that that one I and I think we played it before. I I just enjoy yeah, that one because it like it doesn't Forget go for the yeah, yeah it's a it doesn't go for the comic jugular as many of Brad's songs successfully do. But I do think it certainly captures. It, it captures a, a mood, a moment, <laughs> it a beautiful genre. That's a rousing
4: movie. sort of yeah. the 80s power. Yeah, power, power <laughs> exactly.
1: Kind of, yeah. Exactly. I like that. I almost would like to hear the three minute version of that almost. <laughs> uh, but maybe, maybe Brad will, will treat us with some more Nooners because I think we're getting, Brad, if you're listening, we're getting to the end of the original Nooners you've sent us to play. So I think we're going to need to be uh, restocked <laughs> soon. <laughs> though, you, though the inspiration may have, have gone from you at this point. I know it takes inspiration. Um, anyway, uh, if you see a, a a, a a wonder a very handsome hulking man with a beard at the mint sunday night that'll be brad who sings very well <laughs> he's an awesome <laughs> singer i'm hoping to get him to sing a lot um anyway well so in about uh in about 10 minutes we're gonna wrap this up because i i'm so anxious to get on the road to san francisco <laughs> and i can't I wait i know it's gonna be a road trip <laughs> good times um and uh, jonathan where w- what vacation are you taking in three weeks that i might see you on New Orleans, New for
4: Orleans, baby. <laughs> For your birthday, we have yes. nothing to wear yet, but well,
1: we we're working on that. This stupid theme this year is wickedly ever after, <sighs> and so our our costume committee of the gang of ten guys who goes down there is working feverishly to develop some something. <laughs> yeah, so. Anyway, if you're going to be down in New Orleans for Halloween this year, we'll be there and we'll be wearing something. Something. At least I'm a we'll cute wearing t-shirt, yes. <laughs> no doubt.
2: <laughs> Dan will not be wearing his birthday suit, so not to worry.
1: <laughs> I usually ask at this point. I usually ask, "What's next for Hollywood's Jonathan King?" But really, you've got this movie in 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 shooting in, with Dwayne Johnson. So we're and starting in
4: December. Yeah. There's going to be another little movie that a supernatural thriller. We're going to shoot in Columbia.
1: R- I mean, you get to go down to Bogota. I do, Lovely.
4: I do. It's about industrial exploitation in the developing world. Sweet, the ghost story.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, like, I always
1: get up I like, cut off your punchline.
3: I'm sorry right. about that. But, and
1: yeah.
4: then we have another. We have a movie coming out in March. A participant movie that mm. I love called The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. I, I the one I went don't. to India for? Oh, yes,
1: year. yes, yes. Absolutely. It's the John Madden delightful. film. The
4: John Madden directed this movie with Judi Dench and Maggie Smith, Bill Nighy, Tom Wilkinson, Penelope Wilton. Okay, so Lots much of much sirs and dams. All
1: those people can do yeah, no wrong. All Parker no wrong. wrote
4: it. It's delightful. It's about, um. I mean, the partisan issue is that it's about uh, aging, like the, the oh. challenges faced by seniors as they age. It's about a bunch of... British retirees who don't know each other and separately are dealing with all the challenges of like healthcare and like reduced standard of living and stuff like that, all the challenges. And they outsource themselves to this luxury retirement hotel in Jaipur, which is run by Dev Patel and of course not luxurious (laughs) nor even really (laughs) functioning. (laughs) Comedy romance ensue. Well, so yeah, it's a, you know, delightful. We,
1: we've all always loved Maggie Smith, but if you were a fan of Downton Abbey recently, oh, I just reminded so why good. she's like one of the – she is a national treasure, mm-hmm. an, an abused phrase, but true, true, true. She is
4: hilarious. And then she plays this like unrepentant racist.
2: Awesome. <laughs> <gossip. laughs> Isn't the best kind? <laughs>
3: That, yes, like the, like the name I keep <laughs> wanting
1: to use for my football team, the seething Eugenicists. <laughs> so, That Sometime I'll change it to that. Did you have to spend the whole time in
2: India?
4: No, well, I actually, I had the perfect thing. I went for the tech scout. Um, so it was before. All the actors got there, but I spent, you know, a week or ten days with John and Graham Broadbent, the producer, and mm-hmm. travelling around to Jaipur in India, looking at all the locations and sort of exploring. We had a little more work to do on the script and Al was there too. Al Parker, the writer. Right. So it was it was a great sort of relaxed way to spend time with the filmmakers and see India or at least that part of uh part of India. Yeah. yeah. I've is I've never been freaking amazing. It's I where Octopussy know. was shot. That, which, <laughs> oh, and okay, it is now, showing. Now my yeah, it is good. showing it's every so afternoon. Oh, it's still really? like, you can see Octopussy here every afternoon <laughs> at this one it's youth hostel monster. or something. <laughs> but it's got one of the most beautiful hotels I've ever seen. Well, I wasn't staying there. It was right. too ghastly expensive. <laughs>
1: Even for the on a, on a studio budget? Or Yeah. yeah, that's that um, must be pretty But expensive. it's called the
4: Lake Palace. Oh. Um, and it is uh, an island that is taken up entirely by the hotel. Like the walls of the hotel go down into the water. And you take a little motor launch to get out there, That's private motor launch. gorgeous. Sounds like Venice.
3: It sounds like <laughs> Venice, exactly. <laughs> the most glamorous thing about the
1: movie business, the Venice Film Festival. Ugh, I'm so jealous you got to go there for a Contagion, which mm-hmm. sounded just like a hoot. Um, all right, Marty, you got anything else for us uh, today on this fine day before I get in my car and drive six hours on the five? Uh, I never told my
4: embarrassing story. Oh, did you get one? Well, I, didn't I actually it. didn't think of the most embarrassing.
1: If you got anything. Uh, I don't know. It, seen, I mean, everything's well, going to be like, such a disappointment. i was slightly going to let you not, not, no, not, no, 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 not no. going to let you to. Uh, we got the,
2: wait, what was the toothpaste again? What was it called? <laughs> wait, what? Prevident. <laughs> Prevident. <laughs> that's. Prevident. Okay. No, I'm just trying to get, re- I was the, the two. Prevident, Tommy, and now.
4: The most embarrassing oh, travel story.
1: Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, like, I thought that I was going to just give you a pass and, and get you out of it. No, no, know, no, 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 no. that's well, not how it works. What's so, up, Marty? Are you trying to – are you saying he's got to now still – this is too much. I mean, no one
4: me wants people. to hear about you falling down and throwing up and stuff like that. No, but no, 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 no. There was – oh, since we brought up New Orleans, there was the – remember the the sort of the New Orleans version of The Onion, the paper when they had published that? Oh, was that uh, <laughs> mortifying. They published, the story. They published let, a story about, Jonathan, tell the story. They published a story about budget cuts in the police department so, and they, they had a picture of a policeman wearing a new bulletproof vest, which was a recycled mailbox that, you know, they had cut armholes and a head. <laughs> so he was wearing it like a vest of metal. <laughs> um, and we were standing around the, you know, having oh brunch the next Oh, are we still on? That's my mic. There's my mic. Yeah, okay, There's my mic. <laughs> um, the next morning, and I was, and Dan grabbed the paper out of my hands before I could say, I was, this is hilarious, and this is <laughs> and comedy, right?
1: Comedy. <laughs>
4: and he looks at this, cause yeah, he grabbed it out of my hands and went into one of his famous Dan Etheridge tirades about what a stupid waste of public money it was <laughs> and stuff like that. And we just, at that moment, I mean, normally, if he had said, If he had approached it maybe slightly differently, I would have just cut it off at the best. But of course... Once he started that little bonfire, all I did was throw fuel oh on it yeah, until he had worked himself into such a lather <laughs> about it that he was going to march down to Ray Nagin's office, who I believe was still mayor at the time.
1: I'm <laughs> so embarrassed by that. And occupy Bourbon Street. Dan was going to occupy let Bourbon go Street.
4: go on forever. Well, you deserved it, pompous well, <laughs> bastard.
1: Really, like, what? I, thought, I, think, I think it would be right to be outraged by that. I don't think it's If it were, it were true. Yes, I if it is true. Yes, if it it i was very hungover i'd been up almost all night it was new orleans and uh okay that was embarrassing that was deeply a a perfect perfect story (laughs) well i guess we'll just charmingly (laughs) leave it at that Uh, thank you for having me this
4: is really fun
1: glad you could come down and do it all the best uh continue best participants thank you uh keep making movies that i want to see which is what you've been doing (laughs) so just think of me next time you green light anything Um, Marty, uh, we'll talk more about, uh, your, uh, your struggles with weight and casting on the next uh, episode of Nooner. The struggle, I, I, well, see, there's a struggle right there. If you can't own it, it's a problem. Welcome it. Um, so thank
2: you guys so much for tuning in. This has been Nooner, um, at the Smodcast Network. We're here every Friday, 12 to 2. And, uh, tune in next week. We'll have a great, show and get <laughs> It's you know, really you know, exciting, Marty. Another one. And uh, So <laughs> okay, tweet you were- <laughs> your questions tweet your questions to at Noonardanmarnie and send your Ask no Dan ever. questions uh, <laughs> to noonerpodcast at gmail.com and give us a rating on iTunes because that helps us. Thanks.
1: Alrighty,
0: we'll see you all next week. Thanks a lot. See ya. This has been a production of Smodcast Internet Radio.